Welcome, New York sports fans, to McCartan After Midnight. Good morning, everybody. I'm Danielle McCartan. I'll be talking all things New York sports with you guys until 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning or late Saturday night if you're still out and about in the city that never sleeps or maybe you're working on a weekend like usual. Me and Kevin are, too. It's been a fun week. This being my fourth show in eight calendar days, all with Kevin. It's been a fun time, Kevin. And we are coming to you live from the Carton and Roberts studio here in Lower Manhattan. You guys know the number, 877-337-6666. Let's load them up with your best content only. It has been a busy night here. Uh, Dustin Poirier wins UFC 264 in the main event. Can you say he really won it, though? I mean, Conor McGregor's ankle just snapped in half. It is broken. I do think there's going to be a fourth. Not that I'm speaking from any knowledge, but there's got to be a fourth. It cannot end like that. And I've got a guest, great guest lined up for you guys tonight with the opening ceremonies of the Olympics set for just about 10 days away at 4.40 a.m. I've got another homegrown Olympian for you guys. Joining my collection of interviews with Tom's Rivers, Todd Frazier, USA Baseball, Queens's Tina Charles, USA Basketball, is Rockville Center's Crystal Dunn from the U.S. Women's National Team. So, New Jersey, New York City, and Long Island, they are all represented in my homegrown Olympian series. This might be the last one, so overall, I think it's pretty good, you guys. I'm excited to bring you guys this one. Again, that is at 4.40 a.m. The Mets on Saturday night played their 10th doubleheader before the All-Star break. This one at City Field. They have not been swept in a doubleheader yet this year, and Saturday night was no different. They split it with the Pirates. The Mets, in my opinion, certainly have a higher power. That's the Tiesto remix of the Coldplay song, by the way. Nice. And the Mets have shown that they can beat you in multiple ways. They are not a one-dimensional team like the Yankees have been. What I mean by that is this. The Yankees' win-loss record is predicated mostly as live and die by the home run ball. Mostly. We'll get to the Yankees in a second. What an exciting win that was. But I figured the Mets chronologically came first. Yankees, you know, chronologically came second. So that's kind of why I did it like this. But the Yankees kind of struggle to manufacture runs. And when they do, it's it's a thing of beauty when they manufacture them. And for me, it's welcome relief. The Mets, though, have shown you that they can beat you in multiple different ways, which to me makes them such a dangerous, I'm calling them a triple threat team. Number one, the small ball. I think back to July 3rd. There's many examples, but July 3rd sticks out of my mind when the Yankees, uh, the Mets beat the Yankees 8-3 to on, guess what, 14 hits. None of them were home runs. Number two, home run hitting. Going into Saturday's games, the Mets out, when the Mets out home run the other team, they're 19-7. and And that, coming off a performance where they hit four home runs against the Pittsburgh Pirates. That was Friday night. And that night, Villar had two, or VR had two, Alonzo had one, and of course, the Lindor Grand Slam that virtually ended the game early. And by the way, did you see what Luis Rojas said about the home run, or the Grand Slam, that should, I should say, after the game on Friday night? He said, I'm not taking credit, but I did throw batting practice to Lindor today. 
<laughs> that made me laugh out loud. Okay, I know it was against the Pittsburgh Pirates, but for me, that was eye-opening in the sense that, like, wow, the Mets can really hang with the big dogs too, huh? The starting pitching. The Mets starters. This is the third of the triple threat, third prong, I should say. The Mets starting pitchers, they're obviously anchored by the best pitcher in all baseball. They own the best home ERA this season. The Mets starting pitchers own the best overall ERA in the NL, which is 2.97. But the entire staff is going to get credit, and deservedly so for this little stat. The Mets right now are 36-10 and 10 when they score first. That tells me that the pitching staff as a whole is able to buckle down and get the job done. Those are the main factors that, in my opinion, contribute to a balanced triple threat team poised to make a run. And because of all of this, there is a confidence that when the Mets take the field, they are going to win the game. I mean, when was the last time you could really, honestly, feel that? And with all that said, I think the main focus at the trade deadline at this very moment in time is A, bolstering the bullpen, and more of a distant B, a back-end starting pitcher. I mean, no one's going to know what Carlos Carrasco will look like until he actually pitches in a game, right? There's an old adage, though. You can never have enough pitching at any level. You watched Trevor May cough up a home run late in the first game on Saturday. And after game one, Rojas said, by the way, he doesn't speak with a script like Aaron Boone does. And he said, May walking the guy, that was a big thing. A guy like Reynolds, one of the best hitters in the game right now. The stuff was good, but the leadoff walk was the thing that set him up for the two-run home run. Okay? Drew Smith doesn't exactly scare me. You watched him essentially allow Cabrian Hayes to put the nail in the coffin on game one on Saturday with the RBI double. That stretched the lead to 6-2 to two in the top of the seventh, which, by the way, again, was the last inning. And I have seen enough out of Miguel Castro at the moment. Enough said, and it looks like the Mets have too. He hasn't been called to play in a, in a few games. But I also think Tyler McGill has a real chance to make it at the back end of this rotation until it's back at full strength. This was one of the things I was looking for in Saturday night's Mets game, game two of the doubleheader. The biggest thing for him will be consistency. Entering play, he had some good numbers. Uh, 192 opponent batting average against, and 16 swinging strikes against the Mighty Brewers lineup, which is among the best. It was a uh, very uh, stressful outing for him on Saturday night. This is Tyler McGill. He worked out of two jams, giving up only one run. He finished, though, after only three and two-thirds innings. That isn't so bad in a seven-inning game, but in a nine-inning game, that's quite concerning. So, Ultimately, he finished with seven strikeouts, which is pretty good. But what I'm trying to say is the jury on Tyler McGill is still out for me. If I'm managing the Mets, I'm giving him another one or two starts and seeing if he can go longer next time. And the other thing I was watching for in the Mets Saturday games was to see if I was right about my take on Jeff McNeil. I said earlier this week that his game-winning RBI was going to kickstart the season. Well, Sometimes I even surprise myself. Since I've said that, in the games following the walk-off hit, not including it, but following that game, he's drawn a pinch-hit walk, a pinch-hit single, and he's got a two-RBI double, including 
that Wednesday day game, now including that game, the game in which he hit a game-winning RBI, Jack McNeil is batting 500. He's 5 for 10. So that's pretty good. I told you. Friday night, the 2019 AL Champions Replica Trophy Night at Minute Maid Park. The Yankees were booed heartedly, but Garrett Cole Friday night was cheered by the home crowd after the short video of Thanks Garrett played on the scoreboard during the pregame period. He came out of the Yankee dugout, tipped his hat to the cheering standing crowd, and Garrett Cole, cold-blooded, said there's a little bit of nostalgia there. Because of the pandemic-shortened season, this is the Yankees' first trip to Minute Maid Park since Jose Altuve took a Aroldis Chapman deep for a walk-off two-run home run in Game 6 of the 2019 ALCS. This weekend, Aaron Boone had called it one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever been a part of. You have those scars that you kind of carry around with you. Well, Saturday night on national TV... This was obviously Garrett Cole's first start in Houston wearing a Yankees gray road jersey and his first ever start against his former team, the Astros. I'm being facetious when I say that the Astros have really rolled out the welcome mat for the Yankees in the form of some rub-it-in-your-face giveaways this weekend. Saturday night, AL Champions replica ring night. So whatever helps them sell tickets on a weekend series, right? It did look packed, though. Friday morning, I challenged the Yankees by playing Eminem's Real Slim Shady, my opening monologue. Will the real New York Yankees please stand up? Over the next couple series, up until the trade deadline, they have quite an uphill battle, as we outlined. In fact, their toughest opponent, based on win percentage, was going to be the Houston Astros, who entered the, se- the series owning a 621 win percentage, which is among the top in the entire league. After the Yankees took two of three from Seattle before this series, they've already won the Astros series. The Astros entered the series averaging five and a half runs a game, the best by far still in baseball. Nestor Cortez, Lucas Licky, Chad Green, Jonathan Loisga, and cold-blooded Garrett Cole have held them to exactly zero runs over these past two games. Garrett Cole has, as I told you he would, seems to have figured out how to pitch without that spider tack. The guy's a pitching genius. He was eventually going to figure it out. And good news for Yankee fans. It seems as if he has. After the shortest outing of his career against the Mets, Cole had a masterful performance against his former Astros. Complete game shutout. Three hitter, 12 strikeouts. And guess what? A season high. 129 pitches. In fact, that was the most pitches by any pitcher in a single game in two full seasons. That was the third complete game of his entire career. You could always tell how Garrett Cole is feeling about his performance by his body language on the mound. Most importantly, the good body language is back. Falling off the mound on his glove side, pounding his glove after a strikeout. Those are all good signs from the Yankees' ace. Just some food for thought. Since Vernon in Manhattan, I'm sure he's listening now. And he, oh, Vernon, you're already on hold. I see you. 
But since you pointed out here that the other night that I've been keeping a, a keen eye for the pitchers with long hair and the potential to hide their spider tack there. After the bottom of the seventh inning, the dugout camera caught Garrett Cole grabbing and rubbing the hair above his right ear as he was walking back to the dugout. As someone with long hair, I can tell you that that wasn't just a simple hair adjustment. But also, why would he be needing it then? He was walking into the dugout. He wouldn't. The inning was over. So we shall see. But obviously a masterful performance. Masterful. And the Yankees' approach offensively, at least for now, is is improving. Friday night, the Yankees beat the Astros behind a pair of two-run doubles by Gardner and LeMahieu. Saturday night, Aaron Judge hit his solo home run. Why he's still batting second, I still don't have any answer to that question. But the home run is fine. That's the kind of hitter he is. But that was it. That was the only run needed for the victory. But I do have to say, I had two favorite parts of that game. Aaron Judge holding his jersey closed as he approached third base on his home run trot. That was the ultimate Jose Altuve troll job. I loved it. It was smart. It was well played. Good job, Aaron Judge. But in the post game, I wish he didn't say anything. What did he say? He was like, oh, it was a little chilly. I was telling my teammates it was chilly. I didn't like that. Either you could say, yes, I was trolling Jose Altuve. Or, even better, I would have said, oh, I got a bad tattoo that I wanted to cover up. That's why I didn't want to. That would have been funnier, I think. So I didn't like the, the post game, but well played, smart. But maybe topping that, though, was when Garrett Cole emphatically told Aaron Boone to get off his lawn, basically. Bottom of the ninth inning, Aaron Boone goes out there to take him out, and Garrett Cole was having none of it. None of it. He said he said a couple couple F words and whatever, and he said he blacked out, and he was screaming at him. Yes, that is the grit that I've been searching for from this team all season, basically. Garrett Cole, those are my two favorite moments, I would say. I think I like the Garrett Cole one a little bit more because that seems more of like a less of a troll job and more of like a rallying cry to the team. Maybe it's a turning point in the season. In the post-game interview, uh, right on the field, he said he told Boone a few expletives and let's go punch him out. Well, a strikeout on a 99-mile-an-hour fastball ended that complete game shutout. Wow. And you know what? The Yankees, they're being a little bit more aggressive on the bases, too. I'd like to see more, obviously, but Tim LaCastro stretching a du- single into a double must have been contagious because Glaber Torres also did it in Saturday night's, Saturday night's game. I know that doesn't really doesn't make headlines, but that might get Glaber Torres going, too. We also shall see on that. Don't say I didn't say I didn't want ya. Opting out of the All-Star game, a game that he was elected by his fans and his peers to go to, has opened the floodgates. And Commissioner Robert Manfred needs to put his foot down. Taylor Swift puts it perfectly. Don't say I didn't, say I didn't warn you guys. DeGrom had set a bad precedent for the league by not going. Sure, he has set had his share of injuries, and you don't want him to re-injure anything at that game. I get it, but he's still active, as in not on the IL. I know this is the minority opinion here, but he's also not pitching for the Mets later today, most likely either, according to everything I've seen. So, like, what the heck? Sorry, 
But you cannot wrestle in the outfield before a game and then tell me you can't throw 10 to 15 pitches in an all-star game. He's the second fastest pitcher to 1,500 strikeouts, and he's not going to Denver. And neither is the fastest pitcher to 1,500 strikeouts, Darvish. And in fact, I know I missed some, but there is a long list of players that are not attending and have opted out of the All-Star game, and it is not a good look for baseball. Altuve, he says he's got a leg injury. He did not expand upon that, but he, like DeGrom, is still active. Actually, he hasn't missed a single game because of that phantom injury. Correa wants to be with his pregnant wife, and mysteriously, he's now in health and safety protocol at the moment. Mookie Betts, not that I've watched every single Dodgers game, especially since they're on the West Coast, but as far as I know, Betts has not been on the IL this season yet either. Oh, Michael Brantley, he's got right side soreness. He was in Saturday night's lineup, though. Do you see where I'm going with this? Dusty Baker, obviously the manager of the Astros, said this. He said, Oh, yeah, they want to be there, of his players. Oh, yeah, they want to be there. Just because they're playing doesn't mean they're not. there's nothing wrong with them. I don't re- think they really care what people are saying about them. So here's the deal. Either Rob Manfred issues a new rule. You know when you're playing whatever with your brother or sister when you're a kid and you say, oh, yeah, a new rule. That was always me because I never want to lose. It's always a new rule with my brother. But Rob Manfred needs to issue a new rule saying that all the players, and it won't happen this year, but for the future, all players elected have to be at least just be there. Or MLB changes the schedule around so to give more time, maybe before or after or both, so that these players can heal. I think that them just not showing up, I just think it's a real slap in the face to baseball friends across the league. Again, fans voted on this. Players voted on this. And as far as I'm concerned, Brandon Woodruff and Kevin Gosman are the only two with somewhat legitimate excuses why they can't pitch. They're pitching later today. They should still be in Denver, though, just to be there, just to show their faces. Where is the line drawn? Now it's like the backup reserves all-star game. It's already pretty unwatchable. Who wants to watch all these B-teamers? It's like Oprah. You get an all-star nod, and you get an all-star nod. Also, as so you know, I'm not calling Taiwan Walker a B-teamer. I laid out on the air Monday night a total, complete rationale that you're accustomed to from me as to why he deserved to be named as an all-star the first time around. We'll talk some more about that tonight. And if you're a professional athlete in the city after that big award show, why don't you give me a call, 877-337-6666. Let's go get it going, everybody. I've set the table for you guys. It's time to eat your 2.22 a.m. snacks. Can't wait to talk with you guys. I am Danielle McCartan after midnight on the fan in New York City. Listen to Moose and Maggie, middays 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on the fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight. That, I love that song. That is a good song. Hey, did you guys uh, did you guys see that you guys can watch the uh, Home Run Derby in, uh, what's it called, Augmented Reality this year? Did you see that? Well, if you don't know what that means, the Mets booth did not either. Luckily, I do. I tried it. And here's the deal. T-Mobile created an, an MLB AR app, Augmented Reality app so that you can watch the Home Run Derby 
in augmented reality. I was like yelling at my TV when the Mets booth. They were like, what does it mean? Uh, AR? Trying to figure out. I'm like, oh, my God. So I already had the app downloaded, and I was able to watch the 2019 Home Run Derby in that augmented reality. I did it from my iPhone, and you guys don't waste your time. It was cumbersome to set up, and it basically it looks like you're watching a video game of a live event. That's kind of like the easiest way to explain it. It's got like the ball's trajectory, and it's got some cool stats on it, like launch angle and all that per pitch, you know, live. But I like to watch things from a batter's point of view, especially like in that scenario where you can kind of choose where you, how you're going to watch it. For this, in, in the 2019 one anyway, you are unable to do that because the StatCast info, they display, how do I say it, in like the upper deck behind you. So you'd have to like turn around, like physically turn around and look at the scoreboard behind you every single time to see the launch angle and the exit velocity and all that stuff. So um, you can't watch it at the same time. So uh, in conclusion here, when you guys see the advertisements during the Home Run Derby about this a- T-Mobile AR app, don't do it. Don't waste your time. I did. I wasted my time. But all in in the best interest for you guys. So there there you go. Uh, Don't do it. Really. Let's go to the phones. 877-337-6666. Or you guys can tweet me at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Oh, God, I got a tweet from Eddie, at Eddie Freshly. He said, Coach McCartan destroys players sitting out the All-Star game. Oprah, L-M-A-O. (laughs) <laughs> right? And you get an all-star nod. And you're going to be an all-star this year. Enough already, man. Let's go to Justin in Deer Park. You're up next on the fan. You're up first, I should say, on the fan. Well, second time this week I was leading off for you. There you go. All right, yeah. Other night I wanted to listen to you, but I'm just exhausted from watching that long Yankee game. It was long, watched, wasn't it? Yeah, two, two 10 o'clock incidents in Seattle. I was up. I need to stay up for calling to you. I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I know. The, so, the West Coast games are always always tough. Yeah, I try my best always. I always try watching them as much as I can. Me too. All right. My point, Garrett Cole, that was amazing. Even if they, even if they lost, it was still a good start for him. Something to show he, at least he can pitch that the sticky stuff. Well, I did see him grab his hair, but for now, we're going to go with, yes, that was a gritty, gutsy career performance for, from him. Yes. Yep, and he was sick. He was on intravenous, Spoon said, for the last two days. He so he was thought this was going to be a short outing. Mm-hmm. Didn't even didn't expect him to make the trip from Seattle. That's how sick he was. Yep. Isn't that crazy? And he said he drank a couple liters of water in t- today alone. I mean, yep. yeah, he, he, he is going to relax on this all-star break, and he is going to be healthy and better when when, we, when he comes back, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, he shouldn't even be pitching the game. At least go as a representative, but just don't pitch. Well, if you pitch, yeah. you pitch very little. Right. Well, he's not. he's not – I don't think he was elected unless he got one of the Oprah Awards, right? Yeah, yeah. He was, he got one of the stars. It was Tim Judge and Chapman. Oh, that's right. Okay, I remember because they announced it after the game that – Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, was, at yeah. The, I was at the game when right after they announced it. I didn't publicly hear it. Mm-hmm. But I was at, when Brett Gardner was an author a few years ago, I was at the game 
were from Bloomberg Specialty Camp when they when they you know, when they got announced. Yes, so. yes, yes, yes. We'll see. We'll see. I don't think he should pitch. No, not but at he all. He should be there for sure, like the rest. Yeah, of Yeah, I think he will be there because also the representative for the player is a player rep. Yeah, he should be there. And anybody yeah. that gets elected should be there. That's far as I'm concerned. Yeah, as long as it's an injury, then that's sort of legit. Right. And being Justin, thanks for the call. And being put on the IL, okay. You can't just say, "Oh, my toe hurts," and then you know. I'm watching the uh, the highlights of uh, Conor McGregor. I didn't see it. I was driving in when it happened. Uh, that that it's it's definitely a broken ankle. It's very uh, very gross. Uh, if you have not yet seen it, the injury to Conor McGregor. Now, Dustin Poirier defeats Conor McGregor via first-round TKO. Really, though? Was it really a TKO? Not really. Vernon in Manhattan, you're up next on the fan. Hey, Daniel. How you doing? I'm good, Vernon. How are you? Doing good. Tell me what you found out about the grease man. About the what? The grease man, the one with the hair. Oh, 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 oh. nothing. He never tweeted me back. <laughs> he ignored me. I tried twice, Vernon. I tried. So so if anybody missed this, uh, what was his name? Corbin Burns. Uh, Vernon pointed out that Corbin Burns was going to his hair often in that game, and I looked at it, and uh, it looked like he had some spider tack in his hair. Let's just let's just lay it out there. So I tweeted him the other night twice. He's only got like 8,000 followers. He definitely saw the tweets, but he chose not to respond. Probably a good move on his part, probably. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you should have a T-shirt made up for all your fans that call you. This is what the T-shirt should read. I've set the table. It's time to eat your midnight snacks. Let's talk in your name under that uh, thing. You ever thought of that? that? That's a lot of words for a T-shirt, though. That that might be an <laughs> eye test sort of a T-shirt. <laughs> you can make this small. Well, anyway, I have something to to share with you. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know anything about uh, baseball cards, grading of baseball cards? Like mint condition, like that, you mean? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, a okay, little bit. Okay. Me and my brother used to have them, and we had Pokemon cards, same deal. So, yeah. Oh, okay, great, great. So here's a chance for you to win an Aaron Judge Rookie card, graded by PSA, mm-hmm. 10, Jim Mint. That's one. Mm-hmm. The next card is uh, um, Pete Alonzo, GMA, grade 10, Jim Mint. And the third card is a Pete Alonzo Rumble Ponies. That's what the minor league uh-huh. he played for. Yeah. Autographed by him. And PSA graded. So these cards are real. Oh, man. I feel the pressure already, Vernon. Yeah. <laughs> these are going to be hard. I, I know it. Oh, no. The whole stuff. And I'm going to throw in a rookie card, a replica of um, Jackie Robinson. Whoa. Now, when I give you the quiz question, which will, I'll get your answer next week, you have to get the correct answer. If you get the correct answer, you win all four cards. Okay. Remember, these are all rookie cards. Mm-hmm. Hardest to find. Mm-hmm. Gymnet pins. There's a catch to it. 
if you win the cards, I'll say to you, let's make a deal. Oh, no. I'll say to you, do you want to keep those cards? Oh, my God. I, ha I have one rookie card. It's not graded, but this particular player, I won't tell you who it is, has um, uh, two records that is hard to beat. Do you want to trade your cards? In other words, deal or no deal. So <laughs> that's, how, that's how that's going to work. Okay, okay. So I have the cards from me and have the boxes if you decide you uh, 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 want to keep the cards or not. So here we go. Here we go. This, this is how you can win those cards. Now, during the World Series, there's a certain amount of people on the field. It has to be the World Series. The pitcher is about to pitch, and as he's about to pitch, there are a certain amount of number of people on that field that's active. You have to figure out how many people are on the field during the World Series. Once you add up all the people, there's a number I want. Once you give me the correct number, you will win. I'll say to you, okay, give me the number. If the number's correct, I'll say correct. Okay. Then I'll say, well, tell me who the people are. And once you give me that information, if you're correct, you win the cards. Do you understand the So we're talking um, the – including the team – Including the workers on the field, is that including the photographers and everything like that? No, no, no. Now remember, I'm telling you, photographers can't be on the field. These, the pitcher has the ball. He's about to pitch. There's a certain amount of people that's on that field during the play. Okay. So photographers can't be on on the field. So if you have to figure out how many people are on this field during the World Series. At the game, you have to add all the numbers up. I want the number first. If the number is correct, I'll say, okay, now tell me who they are. If you get both questions right, you win the cards. Hmm. Do you understand the rules? I do, Anything yeah. you want? I do. Okay, good. I got it. So that's all, that's all you have to do. You can get help from your uh, uh, co-workers, from your brother, your your father, even if you can get work for uh, help from emails from your listeners. All right, you guys, we, we're on, we're on, everybody. All right, did you <laughs> want to make a Mets point too, Vernon? Huh? Did you want to make a Mets point too tonight? No, that's that's the idea. It's the Yankees and Mets. Okay. When you have a chance to get an autograph card uh, graded by Pete Alonzo. Oh, by the way, with the Rumble Ponies. He's wearing a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Vernon, we are about to head to break here. I will think about it and uh, and get back to you. And if anybody has that answer, you want to tweet it to me, this is not my final answer, but my mind went to nine players. And during the World Series, I think there's four umpires, too. So that's kind of where I went with my mind right here without Googling it. Um, but... We'll see. So if you guys have the answer, let me know. And we're going to head to break really quickly here. So let's see what we can do here. Uh, let's see. You know what? 
how about this? Hmm. What is, with the half the season is pretty much over, right? What is your definition of most valuable player? So let's make some way too early predictions. Is it that the player that is overall the most well-rounded player in the game? Or is it the player that means the most to his or her team? Like, if that player wasn't part of the team, then the team wouldn't win the division or make the playoffs or whatever. So would it... Does it matter that the player could be on the worst team of the league as well? So 877-337-6666 will make some way too early MLB MVP predictions. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight here on the Fan of New York City. Quick question for you guys. Uh, at Dflex2123 says, my definition of most valuable players, how much they mean to the team. There are examples of special players dominating and winning despite not being on a good team. Trout and now Otani. That's exactly where I wanted to go with this because going into Saturday's game, Shoei Otani's home run pace was 61 home runs on the season. I mean, I know there's many comparisons between him and, and Babe Ruth already, but if he finishes with 60 home runs, he would tie Ruth's 1927 season, which is the eighth best ever recorded, by the way. And Joe Madden said it, I think best, he said, we all romanticize what it would have been to watch Babe Ruth play. Now we're living in it. Or now we're living it. J.J. Watt asked, serious question, what argument could you make for any other player over Shohei Otani for MVP? The guy literally dominates the plate and on the mound. Not a single player even attempts that, much less succeeds at it. He is the definition of most valuable. Well, that's it. What is your definition of most valuable? The best player overall in the whole entire game or the best player on that team? And what if the player on that team doesn't even make the playoffs? Would it? Does it matter? For me, it doesn't matter. I think Otani right now is the AL MVP, like no questions asked. Actually, I do have a question. Who cares that the Angels aren't all that good? I also had a feeling about this, so I made a bet. On March 31st, Shohei Otani to be the AL MVP. I put my regular old $5 bet at plus 2,000 odds. I win 100 bucks, And the odds now, they're at minus 290. Thank you very much. Back to the calls. In the order that you guys called, 877-337-6666. Rob in Freehold, you're up on the fan. Danielle McCartan, how are you? What's up, Rob? How are you? I wish I knew your last name to do the same thing, but how are you? No, it's okay. The, your producer is one of my best friends. Okay, so um, I am going to answer Vern's question. Now, depending on if the on-deck batter counts as an actor on the field, the answer is either 17, because you have nine guys on the field, including the pitcher, six umpires, because you have the left and right field umpires mm-hmm. in the playoffs, so that gets you up to 15. Right. You have the bat boy or bat girl up, uh, the ball boy or ball girl up the lines. So that's another two. Mm-hmm. That gets you to 17. And if Vern counts the on deck batter, you got 18. Yeah. So that that is the uh, the active player thing. Yeah. For, for Vern's Kevin and I question. come up with the uh, the ball boys down the line too. So we, you know, a lot of people forget about them that they sit uh, over there. I'm wondering, like, do, do like security guards on the field count too? So you no, no, I, I don't think so. Okay. They're not on the field when the pitch is being thrown. They're behind the right. uh, the wall up the line. Right, right, right. But yeah, if that, you that count the on deck right. batter, I'm confident in 18. Well, Rob, 
confident in 18. We've got responses of 20. Nine players, one batter, two coaches, two bat boys, two ball girls, four umpires. This is going to take some time to actually like sit and think about, and I might have, because he's giving me time. I'm going to have time to go back and watch some World Series film, actually. So, all right, let's go. Kevin and Camden, you're up next on the fan. What's up, Coach? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I want to talk about the Mets game because my Tyler McGill, I got to give this kid some props. I mean, I know he's not going deep in stars, but he's shown me a lot of, a lot of guts, a lot of just guts. He doesn't, he, he reminds me a lot of, like, the ground. He doesn't get faced. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. He's unflappable. He really is. He strikes out guys. He gives up a run. He goes right back. Like, yeah. I'm like, that's, that's only last night, Jake. I'm like, I'm really impressed with that kid. He is really something. That kid is. And I got to say, Edwin Diaz tonight, that ninth inning, was absolutely, in the game two, that was absolutely filthy. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, it was one pitch from an immaculate inning. One pitch. I was like, that is the most dominant I've ever seen him. Uh, I would definitely say so. And he, he threw it with some mustard on it, too. I mean, he was like, it was 10 pitches, and it was like, boom, 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 stand up, sit down, done. It's over. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And as far as Garrett Cole, I'm, I'm going to say that was that was dominant, too. And I'm glad that he stayed in the game, which, honestly, that doesn't happen a lot. So, probably Garrett Cole, and I'm glad that Boone actually let him stay in. I know. What I mean, he had no choice at that point. He got screamed at on the mound. What was he gonna do? What was he gonna do? Well, I mean, I mean, it would have been, it would have been a revolt if he wouldn't gotten out of that. But I'm just glad that hey, he got he got the win. Hopefully, they could build off this. And I don't know if it was sticky tack or not, but it looked pretty good to me. It did. <laughs> it did. It did. And you know what? It's a it's a career performance there, Kevin. Thanks for the call. And also for McGill, another note on him. He has the most strikeouts. Uh. He's tied for first, believe it or not. Tied for first for the most strikeouts in the first four career games. And now he's tied with Dick Selma, but more, you probably would know these names better, Matt Harvey and Dwight Gooden. They all had 26 strikeouts for their first four games. And Tyler McGill uh, joined that company today. So I know that doesn't like mean a, a whole lot, but you know what? I think the kid's got... I, you know what? I would give him another start or two and, and really see what happens. I think he's got some good back-of-the-bullpen stuff. And, again, I know. It was three two three and two-thirds innings. Yeah, but he, he generates a lot of swings and misses. So in this in this age of, of strikeouts, it, that's a good thing to have. That's a good thing to have in your repertoire. Joe in Lakewood, you're up next on the fan. Yeah, I want to regard your question. Um, about um, the MVPs, I'm thinking there's like in the AL, there's got to be like three categories of players. You got like a guy like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like he's not a solid team, but he's making a huge impact. And you have a guy like Shoei, he's literally the entire team. Then I feel like you got a guy like Cedric Mullins, like a guy who's not getting a lot of credit on the media and everything. He's actually just here. Joe, let me ask you something. How old are you? I am about 16. What are you doing up so late? Waiting for pizza. Waiting for pizza? <laughs> uh, okay. Thanks for the call there, Joe. I hope your pizza gets delivered. I like that. But it's a little late for a 16-year-old to be up, I think. I mean, I'm no parent or anything, but I do teach kids of that age. And uh, 
2.50 in the morning is a little late to be up. Steve in Saratoga, you're up next on the fan. Steve? Well, I'm uh, 58 years old, so I can stay up. <laughs> I, I'm 58. I can stay up okay. late. Okay. All right. You passed the test, Steve. Tell me. <laughs> what do you got for me tonight? I, I have insomnia. All right. So um, you're talking about most valuable player, and uh, it's not Jacob DeGrom. Um, in my mind, I know he gets all the praise in the world and everything like that. He pitches one about once a week for about six innings. He's a glorified middle reliever. I know I'm in the minority here. Yeah, but you know what, Steve, you bring up a good point because that's like the the debate that's probably going to rage on at the end of the season. I know Shohei Otani plays both ways. That's why, you know, but then you got a guy like Jacob DeGrom who is absolutely dominant, MVP worthy, but he's not on the field every day. That's the big thing that's going to be at the end of the season. But not only that, he's only pitching six innings. Well, I think, think, let me check his average. And then he gets taken out. No, that's not most valuable point. Well, he doesn't. Maybe seven innings at the like six and a half, I would say. Yeah, let's out. yeah, let's let's get that number right. But uh, you How know, good is that's not most valuable. Let's see. I I'm hoping that what happened with Derek Cole today, uh, the way he talked to Boone on the mound, that that sets off a signal to all the other very good pitchers in the league to say, when that manager comes out, tell him to go sit there. Hell down. Okay. Yeah, yeah, don't, because <laughs> i got to cut you. No, but you know what, though? I won't. Steve, there have been pitchers on the Yankee staff that have expressed frustration with Aaron Boone's short leash. I mean, there's there's plenty of examples of it. And, and, I'm, and, and I told you, I told you guys a while ago that Garrett Cole has the ability to dictate who he wants to be the catcher. He has the clout to say, you know what, Boone, sit your butt back down on the bench. I'm finishing this game. Other pitchers don't. And and I don't know. But, I just what I don't like about the um, yeah but, but, yeah. Go ahead, Steve. What what don't you like about the ground? Well, okay, uh, is that he wants to be taken out of the game. He doesn't fight it at all. He doesn't say no. I, I'm good. I'm, I know he pitched one complete game this year, but he doesn't fight it. That that, that first game of the year. He came out at five innings. Oh, it was time for me. And then he's not pitching in the All-Star game, which I think is awful. Yeah, you, I agree you know, with you on you that. Get this, you get all this money. You get you have a dream job. You have to pitch in the All-Star game because it's – especially for kids. You know, you, you really – that's the All-Star game means so much to them. And not to see their favorite player play because – and if he's not going to pitch today, let me ask you something – would the Mets be that much – how many more wins do the Mets have because of of Jacob DeGrom? Seriously. Like, if he wasn't pitching at all on the team, would they be much worse? Well, Steve, come on. I think uh, I think that is a, a tree you don't want to go barking up because Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in all of baseball. By the way, he averaged nine, there's 92, he pitched 92 innings so far this year, so I did a little quick math. 92 innings divided by 15 games gives you six and a third as an average for his outings. Um, but I think that would be quite unfair to say that the Jacob deGrom, uh, you know, how to ask how many additional games that they would win without him. 
Um, I mean, his wins over replacement is five, five games. So if that tells you anything, I'm not sure if it does. But listen, the, I've said it before. I've said it a, a lot of times here. The, the fact of uh, what's his name having the uh, the shortest leash I think I've ever seen Aaron Boone on pitchers ever. I mean, the notes from Friday night that I wrote, Nestor Cortez, 74 pitches, bottom of the fifth, Jose Altuve's due up. He's 0-2 against him so far. Like, I wrote, like, why is what I wrote. Like, why is he pulling him at that point in time? Like, why? So, I, But Nestor Cortez can't give him the business on the mound and say, hey, I want to stay in, Booney. Get the F off my mound. You can't say that. Not if you're Nestor Cortez. You could say it if you're Garrett Cole, though. So that's, I hope, lighting a little fire in uh, in Aaron Boone to say, you know what, I'm going to trust these pitchers, starting pitchers at least, a little bit better. And then, oh, my God, did you have a heart attack when you guys saw him call up um, Aroldis Chapman? Oh, my God, I was like, oh, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Sit him back down. Sit him down. And luckily, Garrett Cole, pretty, I bet you that's what he said. I bet you that's what he said on the mound, that he didn't want him coming in. If I had to wager a guess. By the way, um, the top ten, the uh, I don't know say it was, uh, sports center top ten, play number one of the day, Brandon Nimmo reaching up and over that wall, elbow deep over that wall to pull back that home run. That was the number one play of the day. Let's go to, real quickly, Terry in Amenia. You're up next on the fan. Buona Martina, Terry Imperatrice. Buona Martina, Terry. Um, I'm very... Before you leave Vernon, I think that's a marvelous question. That's a good question, yeah. I got a lot of responses on Twitter, too. Look at the rule book and see what the rule book says. That's a good idea. Yep. That's the first thing I would want to do. Yep. Um, the reason for my phone call, uh, I'm really concerned about all these illnesses and injuries in baseball these days. And the player with vertigo, that really has me distressed. I hope he doesn't have a brain tumor. I don't. I don't know if I would go straight to brain tumor. I think they were looking at his eyesight or something. Now I know, but the reason I say that is those were the first symptoms for two people that I have known who have had brain tumors. Well, vertigo. Rest, rest assured, there, Terry, that that uh, Clint Frazier is, is in the best care in the in, in the entire world. So, I mean, I'm not a doctor. Although I, I always say if I wasn't a teacher, if I didn't do this, I would be a doctor. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you that he is getting the best care in the world. And I'm getting so many tweets. Uh, everybody's coming up with different answers. Vernon, that's a really good question. Uh, John says the answer might be nine defenders, six umps, one batter, two ball boys and girls. One on deck batter, two first and third base coaches, 21. Yeah, that's that's what I'm going with, John. I like it. Two security officers, someone else said. Oh, my God. We've got so many different answers here. Got 22. Oh, man. I'm going to have to – you know what I'm going to do? I am I am going to have to go back to the videotape. Didn't uh, – what's his name? Wolf? Wolf? Warner Wolf. Didn't he used to say that? Let's go to the videotape. Yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to see. We're getting a bunch of different answers on this one here. Oh man, we got a couple things from my uh, my uh, other thing here at 
Johnny Rock 44 says MVP stands for most valuable player, not most valuable player with a winning record. Otani is the MVP, and it's not at all close. Good. It's good for my bet. I like it. I wish I would have put some more money on it. But, you know, yeah, I always look at it like if I, if I lost $5, if it fell out of my pocket, would I mind? No, I would say no. So that's kind of my threshold with betting. If I dropped a $100 ball on the ground, I would mind. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of how I do it. <laughs> but that's just me. Great discussion here tonight, guys, everybody. Everybody, this is, a, this is all. Well, welcome back already here on The Fan, everybody. We were having some technical difficulties with the, uh, with the board. It's been an ongoing thing all night. It's not Kevin. It's happened to the producer before him. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's just uh, a, little, a little tough here tonight. It's a little tough. It's okay. It's all right. We're in good company. It's me. It's you. It's Kevin. We're all good. You guys get aboard 877-337-6666. Get a ton of tweets. At Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I'm kind of going through them. Uh, the, to the caller that profoundly claimed DeGrom should not be the MVP, the Mets are in first because of him. And Verlander was recently awarded the MVP when he arrived on the Astros. Good point there, Doug, at the Douglas Pucci. That's right. Um, my definition of, of all-star is, I mean, um, MVP is someone that is the best in the game. For the AL, it's Shohei Otani. For the NL, I it's Jacob DeGrom. I don't know, though, because that is a good point that he doesn't play out there every single day. But my question then is, my back of my mind is like, well, who's better? Jacob DeGrom is the best best pitcher in baseball. And I probably, if he were given the green light like Shohei Otani, he would probably want to DH too, knowing him. I mean, I don't know him, but knowing how he plays, he'd probably want to do that too. So, um, yeah, that's going to be something that we are going to um, definitely keep an eye on as this season comes to a close. And, and, you know, knock on wood for health for all of the players. You saw Acuna Jr., he's uh, he's out for the season, torn ACL. That's a tough break for the Braves. Um, You never want to see anybody injured like that. And as soon as you saw it, you knew. Just like right now they're showing the highlights of um, Conor McGregor on TV in the studio. As soon as you saw it, you knew. One of those kind of things. I mean, I felt bad for him. Acuna crying off the field. He knew it, too. So, um, Godspeed. Safe surgery. Good luck on the recovery to Acuna Jr. Um, but not in like a harsh way or anything, but that kind of really opens the door for the Mets to really run away with this L and L East. Don't you think? I mean, everybody says the Braves are going to get hot. It's hard to imagine the Braves are going to get really that hot without Acuna Jr. in that lineup. He is arguably the most explosive player in that lineup. So, you know, you hate to see it, but you know what else? The Mets, the door's wide open to go ahead and take the East. Let's go up to Connecticut. Alex, you're on the fan. Yeah, hi. Uh, I was going to tell you that the uh, the answer's 21, but it could be 22 because I'd have to check out the 22nd. You've got uh, nine players. You've got six umpires in a World Series game. You've got the first and third base coaches. That's 17. The ball boy or ball girl that go up the first and third base lines. 20. With the batter, the on-deck circle. And the 22nd might be the ball boy or girl that replenishes the balls to the umpire. I'm not sure if they're on the top step 
or if they're on the field. Yeah, that's the only one I'm not sure of. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna think that they're on the top step though. I would think that's what I think, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. So that could be so. If that's if they're on the field, that's twenty two. Mm. Yeah. Security guard's not part of the MLB, so that's that 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 wouldn't count. Yeah, and they they kind of sit like on that first row right there. Uh, yeah, so I'm not sure about the ball boy girl because I think like you, I think they're on the top step, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Great question. It is a great that. question. I want you to win though. So uh, <laughs> well, thanks, Alex. I want to win too. I appreciate the help. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm definitely. I'm kind of like writing all this down. I might even put it to a poll and everything. You know, tomorrow when I wake up, just to be really sure. I don't want to get this wrong, especially because he didn't want an answer right away. So he's giving you a week to to, to call anybody you want. It's unbelievable. <laughs> exactly, and and you guys call me too. I like it, Alex. <laughs> he's got everybody doing it. <laughs> Great. Man. Thanks, Alex. I know. Love the show, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, everybody on Twitter is joining in too. Vernon, you got you, you fired up my phone lines and my Twitter tonight, Vernon. So, so thank you. Uh, let's go up to Tom, North Brunswick. You're on the fan. How's it going, Danielle? I'm great. How are you, Tom? I'm all right. I just turned the radio on a little while ago, so I don't know the. Uh, I probably wouldn't get it anyway. The thing that Vernon asked. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, so. it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, I just want to go over the first half. But uh, before I start, uh, I'm not, you know, you know, I'm not a Yankee fan. And I'm not a Yankee hater either, as uh, some people think, because I respect baseball. I respect them. But I, that was a big-time superstar performance by Derek Cole tonight. I mean, last night. I mean, that was, to, to go to pitch a complete game on 129 pitches and uh, and dominate a great lineup like that is an, an important game. You can't ask for anything more of a Yankee fan. I, I mean, you know? right. Yeah, I mean, there isn't anything more that you can ask. He did every single thing. The grit, the resolve, the resiliency. I mean, that's what I was have been looking for and questioning out of this Yankees team. Who is the guy? Garrett Cole yeah. made sure everybody knew that he was the guy on Saturday night. And, and I know. And real quick, um, uh in my opinion, well, before I go, I'm going to get to the Mets in a second. Yeah. But everybody keeps saying the Yankees are done. First of all, remember, they had a stretch where they were 23-9 and nine earlier this year. So, you know, they have proven that they can they can get out of the slump they're in. Uh, you know, there are eight games out right now. Uh, you know, I don't know if everybody thinks Boston's going to continue to win. They're not out of it. They really, they're really not. If you really said they, they have to get hot and win, but they, you know, people forget how the, the players they still have, I know they're struggling right now, but it's not like they're 10 games under 500. They're not out of anything. I don't, I don't think they're out of anything. I think, what do you think? Um, yeah, Tom, that's a good point. I just got a tweet from at John Burton 32. He says, just when I thought I was out, the Yankees pull me back in. And I think if you're a Yankee fan, I think that's the sentiment. That's it. So I think that, I, I, listen, Brian Cashman's got to make some moves at the deadline. I think you saw the diversification of the lineup, like I talked about the other night, with Tim LaCastro, the signing, the acquisition, I should say, of Tim LaCastro, the trade. Um, if the team goes in that direction, then I I don't know. I don't Listen, you never want to count a team out unless they're actually mathematically eliminated, right? But they're not out of it. They're not. They've got good players. They need to play better. But I would like to just see them 
you know, better on the base paths, uh, taking extra bases when, you know, swipe like Glaber Torres did on Saturday night, like Tim LaCastro did earlier in the week, stretching those singles into doubles. Like, all of the little things need to be tuned up a lot better. Again, I don't know. They're a streaky team. We knew it coming into this season. I told you guys, when I said buckle your seatbelts. But right before the season started, buckle your seatbelts is what I said. It's a roller coaster ride with these Yankees. They're going to be really good, and they're going to be really bad. And that's exactly how it's played out. So this could be another streak. Two out of three versus the Mariners. Already two out of three versus the Astros. They're entering a really tough stretch. I will make it. Here's how about this, Tom? I will make a declaration after I see what they can do against the Boston Red Sox. They've already won the series against the Astros. I want to see. I don't want to see him give up on you know later today Sunday's game. I don't want to see him you know kind of give up, pack it in sort of thing. But I would really like to see how they come out against the Red Sox. Now we could be looking back, you know, in a month from now, or, or a month and two, even two months from now. We could be looking back and saying that game on July 10th when Garrett Cole told Aaron Boone to get the F off of his mount, that he was finishing that game, we could look at that as the turning point of this season. We could. That could be it. That could be it. It's a streaky team, though. It's a shaky pitching staff. We'll see what Kluber is when he comes back, but... I don't want to make a declaration yet. I would love to see how, again, the Red Sox series plays out, if that's okay, if we can wait on that. I'm not one of these people that's like, they stink, they're out. And then like, oh, yeah, actually, they're really good. I hear a lot of that. I don't like that. Flip-floppers, that's what I call them. I am not a flip-flopper. So give me give me another week, and I'll have an answer for you. Let's go to Mineola. Michael, you're up on the fan. Hey, Danielle, how are you? Great show tonight. Oh, thank you. I just uh, was making a point to Kevin that I didn't express properly, but thanks for putting me on the air. Oh, that's good. Um, my point is that I like to see pitchers uh, get stretched and uh, control the games a little bit, particularly pitchers like uh, DeGrom and Cole. I agree. And I, I think, like you were saying a little bit earlier, Aaron Boone has a short leash with pitchers. Uh, so does Kevin Cash with Blake Snow in the World Series. Oh, my God, uh, yes. Yeah, and... Uh, I just would like to see pitchers be able to take control of games that are theirs when they're dominating, and I think sabermetrics and all the analytics. Yeah, third uh, time through the lineup, drama, yes. Yeah, kind of deceive the manager's eyes a little bit, and I'm just happy to see athletes kind of stick up for themselves a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know what, Michael? I, I am, I'm happy that you said that, athletes sticking up for themselves a little bit, because that's exactly what Garrett Cole did. I mean, how do you march out there with, what was it? It was one out remaining, right? How do you march out there with one out remaining in the game and say, give me the ball? Like, what? What? What are you thinking? And how do you march out there and take the ball from Nestor Cortez, who was cruising, 74 pitches, bottom of the fifth, already 0 for 2 Altuve was. He was coming up. Come on. Like, why? Especially when you know that your 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 ace closer, Aroldis Chapman, is struggling. That's mightily. I mean, I don't know how else I could put it in more elaborate or dramatic terms. Like Aroldis Chapman stinks right now. So why would you go to your bullpen earlier than you have to? Cortez was cruising, and then, I mean the. 
Friday night, they were up 4 nothing. He did not go to our oldest Chapman out of that bullpen. It was Cortez, then Litke, then Green, then Loisaga. No Chapman. He had Chapman up Saturday night. And Garrett Cole was like, hell no. He is not going to blow this one. And Garrett Cole finished it himself. Good. That's maybe the momentum that this team needed. Again, we could be looking back at this as the turning point in the season. We'll see. Bob, in Bayside, you're up on the fan. Yeah, I totally agree with you about uh, that. Derek Cole is great, but uh, Gram is on another planet. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge Yankee fan, and I loved it when they signed Cole. But Gram, I mean, I would tomorrow I would trade Cole for Gram. <laughs> I would too. To be honest with you, even after tonight's performance, I would too. And I want to digress a little bit. At 3 p.m. tomorrow, I know that you study Italian, you speak Italian, you've been there several times. Mm-hmm. We've had this conversation. Unless you have a family commitment or something, I know you'll be watching Italy against yeah, England. I will be. <laughs> and I, I, most, I, most Americans, they can't take soccer. They hate the one nil. You know, Americans are very greedy. They want home runs. They want touchdowns. They want and basketball. There's a score every 30 seconds. They don't understand a one nil game. I'll be honest, though. I, not that I don't understand it. It's a little bit. I'm not a huge soccer fan. It's it's a little bit boring. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm sorry, Bob. Well, it, I was I was in Italy maybe eight ten years ago. I was in Naples. Mm-hmm. I went to Napoli Stadium, and uh, a guy from Naples. I think they were playing Parma in the Serie A. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a guy in the in the middle of the fifty yard line, in the middle of the pitch. Yeah made a move between three defenders, and 70,000 fans got up and cheered. They appreciate skill. And uh, all Americans want is touchdowns, and they want scoring. I agree with you, it could be boring, but the whole rest of the world outside the U.S., soccer is the number one sport. Yeah, no, I know. And you know what? Also, though, being there, and being there in Italy to see a game, I've never done that, and fans are crazy. I I know that. There, I mean, setting fires in stands and everything I've seen on YouTube. Uh, but I'll tell you, I did go to, in March, right before the pandemic, I went to, I, I was a member of the media, credentialed by the fan to go to the U.S. Women's National Game. And in person, it's not boring. It's real. That was my first soccer game I was ever right. at, you know, professional. It's not boring in person. I'll, I'll give that to you. It was very fun. And it was, well, you know. I'll make a statement to you. Tomorrow at 3 p.m. I'm watching it. That's, that's going to be between five and 10,000. Italians and Italian-Americans in Little Italy at Cafe Napoli and the Taramia restaurant watching this game. Are you going and to be there? They don't, and they don't care about the home run derby. Yeah. And, they, and in another two days, they'll get back to the Mets and the Yankees. But let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. The number one population of ethnicity in New York City, Jews, Poles, Irish, Germans, the Greeks, the number one in population is Italians in, this, in the five boroughs. And they're going to be going crazy tomorrow. Oh, yeah. That's all I can tell you. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have my uh, my duty jersey on for sure. <laughs> all right. Nice talking again. Yeah, of course, Bob. Yeah, at 3 o'clock, I'm going to watch it. It's, it's going to be tough, though, because the Yankees are on it. I think it's 210. The Mets are on it. Like, I think it's 110. And we got the duty on it at 3. So it's going to be a lot of uh, maybe I think I might do Yankees on the Yes Network on my phone. And then split screening the soccer and the Met game. That's probably the setup I'm going to have. And I've been, I'll be honest, I, you guys know the story, but if you have Altice 1, 
I will show you how to do split screen on it because I, I I told you the day I accidentally sat on the remote and, and picture in picture split screen came up. I was like, oh, what? It's not on the TV. It's through Altice One. So I I will show you. I've done. I've sent it to DMs and a couple a couple of people asked. I sent them DMs on the remote. Like you press this button, then you do this, and you do that. So if you need help with that, ask and I will. Uh, you're going to have to help me. Yeah, all right. I'll make you a video uh, tomorrow morning when I wake up around 1230, 12. Um, yeah, i got to run to the market, though. i got to get some some fresh foods. You know, since school ended, not that I've been, like, trying. And I know no one really wants to know this, really, I don't think. I haven't been trying, but since the last day of school, June 25th, I've lost five pounds. There we go. I mean, I haven't really, I mean I've gone to the Outback. I've had pizza three times, ice cream. I can't it even count. It depends how much are you eating, though. That's the thing. Well, that's the thing, but I've, I haven't been really trying. It's just the stress, I think, of the school year is just melting off of me. That is, you know, your stress, you're all over the place. It's all about fasting. I mean, I'm down 25 pounds since March. Look at you. You know, just eating six hours out of the day. Fasting works. Hmm. I went for a run today. Two miles. Puffing and puffing. Yeah, it wasn't good. Wasn't good. Got to get back into game shape. All right, let's go to New Haven, Connecticut. Alex, you're up next on the fan. Hey, Danielle, how are you? Great, Alex. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, I wanted to chime in on the MVP talk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, my choice for NL MVP, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is a five-star player. Without yeah. him, um, the Padres would not be up there with the Dodgers in the standings. And uh, for AL MVP, I know Otani is like the kind of the obvious choice, as it would seem. But uh, my choice for AL MVP is Aaron Judge. Uh, I think it's comeback season. Go Yankees. Yankees all the way. Yeah, but you cannot compare Judge and Otani. Come on. Yeah, but you never know what's going to happen. you got a lot of a lot no. of baseball left to play. I understand. But, but but my point I was making was, like, right now, if the season ended right now, oh, it would be Otani. You cannot tell me that Aaron Judge is going to be an MVP over Otani. You can't. Well, if if the season ended today, then yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes, but, I know. They, like I said, I told you, they were way too early MVP predictions. Way too early. We're only halfway through. But if the season ended today, Shohei Otani, absolutely don't even think about it. No one else has a chance. Aaron Judge could make a run. It's got to be a historic run. But, man, can they please get him out of the two-hole? I can't keep watching Aaron Judge belt solo home runs. I just can't keep watching it. Aaron Boone, are you listening? My God, I can't. It's just, it's, it's, it's insufferable, really, honestly, watching it. And, uh, you guys, did you hear? Taiwan Walker is an all-star. We'll hit that coming up next. I compared Taiwan Walker's numbers against eight other announced starting pitchers. That was Luis Rojas. Telling everybody, telling the media, telling the world that, that Taiwan Walker is an all-star. Um, so when I did that, I separated them into three categories. Uh, the, the top tier, the middle tier, and the bottom tier. And Walker is not better than any pitcher in the top tier. But you can make a case for him against anybody in the middle tier. And he is absolutely better than those in the bottom tier. That was before DeGrom or any of those other pitchers opted out. So in the bottom tier, when I studied this, this is the data that MLB had in front of them when appointing these substitutions for these guys that are just opting out of the All-Star game. One of them was Hugh Darvish. This is the bottom tier guys that I have qualified as bottom tier guys. Taiwan Walker has this had, at the point, the same win-loss record as Hugh Darvish, had a lower ERA than him, lower hits, 
lower home runs per nine, and a much better strikeout-to-walk ratio. Okay, how about Herman Marquez? Well, at the time, Walker had a better win-loss record, a lower ERA, better numbers for nine innings in, and are you ready? All of these better numbers uh, Taiwan Walker had than Herman Marquez in hits, walks, home runs, and strikeouts. So the point I'm trying to make is he should have been an all-star from the jump. He's there. There's eight pitchers that were elected. He, he's worse than three of them, DeGrom, Gosman, and Burns. Marginally better or comparable to three of them, Rogers, Woodruff, Wheeler, and outright better than two of them with Darvish and Marquez. So case closed, I asked you guys the other night, right? Well, now, right. Here's what Taiwan Walker had to say about it. Yeah, I just, my whole career, I've made a lot of support for friends and family, and it means so much to me. Um, you know, trying to hold back tears early this morning, just, you know, getting my mom called. She's crying. Uh, she's gonna actually going to be out there for the All-Star game. She'll be there, yeah. She, uh, she was there for my first two future games, so I thought it would be cool for her to come to my first All-Star game, too. How cool is that? My, uh, I, I was tearing up. Mom's coming out. I, I just love that. I, I love it. And Francisco Lindor had said, too, that there should be – I'm paraphrasing this, but he said something along the lines of there should be other Mets named to the team. I mean, he might have been alluding to Edwin Diaz, but, again, I believe me, I did the research, I did the deep dive. I disagree. Edwin Diaz should not be an all-star. Really, I don't think there's any other Mets that really should be, honestly. So, Tywin Walker, well-deserved, well-earned. Congratulations. And you get an all-star nod. <laughs> no, but he, honestly, he really should have been in it from the, from the beginning, from the jump. So there it is. All right, let's go back to the calls, 877-337-6666. Don't forget, we have Crystal Dunn from the U.S. Women's National Team at 4.40 a.m. Going to be a good one. I can feel it. Eli in Long Beach, you're up next. I'm a fan. Hey, Daniel. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Good. Um, I, I was calling because um, you mentioned earlier you said the Mets uh, should think about trading. Uh, you said you get for a bullpen piece or a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking more and more. I even saw support a couple places, but what about like Chris Bryant? I'm saying the Mets' offense is ranked like 29th in runs scored. I mean, I don't know after Saturday's after Saturday's game, but yeah, you know, um, yeah, he's a, he's an interesting name because the, the Cubs, by all accounts, are going to be sellers, and you're gonna have to think that Chris Bryant is at the top of that selling list. Uh, third base is an area of concern. Yes. I would like to see what J.D. Davis can do when he comes back. I mean, he is an offensive spark for that team. He is that power dude. But I would like to, you know, compare, do the research and compare how Bryant would do. I, honestly, I haven't done the numbers just yet. I think it's an interesting. But he can also play the outfield. That's just he's versatile. He well, can play J.D. Outfield Davis could. In any spot. But he, he's not great in the outfield. Let, let's put it that way. He's not great in the yeah, outfield. He only, has three, he only has one error this year. Yeah, this year. How many games? I'm saying he put most of the year in the outfield, not at third base. How many games? My computer is loading. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't have a plaque. I can't check in front of me. J.D. Davis. All right, stats. Let's see. You're saying he's he has he's got a you're saying he's got a thousand fielding percentage as an outfielder this season? No, the, the um, Chris Bryant has one error in the outfield. You're, you're saying Chris Bryant as an outfielder? Chris I'm conf- Bryant. Now I'm yeah. confused. No, I was telling you that Chris Bryant can also play the outfield. That's what I'm telling you. Chris Bryant can play the outfield? That is the first I've heard of that. I'm checking that out. I don't, I don't think so. All right. played it a whole year. All right. Let's see about this one. Chris Bryant. Let's go. Uh, standard fielding. 
He has uh, 650 games logged in his career at third base, 223 logged in the outfield. And let's click on the 2021 game log split. Just bear with me, you guys, because I'm, I'm, that has intrigued me. I have, I have not heard about that, but let's see. Let's see. Fielding game log. doesn't say what position he's in here. Oh, God. I wish I had this answer. As a center fielder, 2021 as a center fielder. He's played what, 14 games as a center fielder. Oh, he might have something there. 23 as a right fielder. 2021, he's played 22 games as a left fielder. And he's played 27 as a third baseman. Okay. All right. Well, you were right. I will. And also first base. First baseman. I will uh, I'll, uh, I'll give you that one. That I did not know. Hmm. That just upped his stock in my book. That's for sure. Because the Mets could use some outfield help. That's for sure. I did not know that. Well, good for you. Yeah, so, again, I have not done any sort of deep dive, clearly, obviously. But the fact that he has played this season in left, center, and right field, I mean, almost more than he's played at third base, that's intriguing to me. Then you really look at J.D. Davis and you really say, okay, J.D. Davis versus Chris Bryant. Let's go position by position fielding-wise. Let's go power number for power number. And then you see, that's that's what I'm going to do for the next time. I'm with you guys. I'll have that homework done, that's for sure. But that just definitely intrigued me even more so than I already was in Chris Bryant. Let's go to Carmen in Linden, New Jersey. You're up next on The Fan. Coach Danielle McCartan, how are you? What's up? How are you? <laughs> Good. Uh, 20, the, the number, and then I'll get to my point, the number is 21 if you don't count the two ball, the two bad boys for each team <laughs> okay. are in the Yes. And I don't, the ball boy is the only one who would make the 22. I'm not sure if he's sitting on a chair or if he's in thing. So it's either 21 or 22. The only thing you need to look at really is is if the ball boy is on the field. Right. The, the, the ball boy that brings the ball to the, the umpire. Yeah, I'm inclined to think that he's not, though. I feel like that, that he's standing there or she's standing there on the top step, like, ready to run. Like the like the like the bad boys. So the answer would be that lucky number twenty one. Yeah, black uh, When you when you look at it back, since you have all that time, yeah, uh, I, I look at that. I want to make a point about the <clears throat> about Boone coming out uh, to to take him out. I think he had no intention of taking him out. I think his reason for coming out there. I know there was one out to go, mm-hmm. and I think he just wanted to, 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 number one, just make sure everything was okay with Cole. Not that he would have told him, but I think he more wanted to give him a little bit of a break. Wanted to give him a little bit of a break to catch his breath, uh, being the cerebral guy that he that uh, mm-hmm. uh, that Cole is, and give him a, a chance. And I think he had all intentions from the very beginning of letting him in, unless and and of course Cole wouldn't have told him uh, if there was something wrong. But I think he also wanted to check with the catcher to make sure he hadn't lost any. But I don't think he had any any intention to take him out. You know, him. Carmen, I don't know because you know why. As I'm watching this play out, I mean, if if he walked up and said, "I'm not taking you out," 
how do you feel? I don't think Garrett Cole would have acted in that manner, you know? I don't think he would have had that tantrum on the mound. Yeah, I don't think he told Cole that. Um, I don't think he told him that, and I was, it was great to see the way Cole acted. Loved it. With the sport club. But anyway, that's my thought. And a final, final thought. I mean, you might be onto something. Carmen, you might be onto something. I'm just thinking that Cole would have reacted in a very different way had it played out that way, I think. I would think. Yeah, I, I, I got you. I, I, I hear what you're saying. That's that's a good point. And the final point is, we've I've seen so many starts and stops this year. Again, the bottom line is they scored one run, and they were, I guess, one for 15 with runners in scoring position. They won the game one nothing. You're not going to get cold pitching games like that with the other starters. Right. So I still am a little bit afraid. I am afraid of of projecting that this is the beginning. Of the, they definitely needed him to, to show that excitement and that interest and, and the fact that you're not getting me off the mound. Nobody's taking the ball from me. Right. But I still, with only judges home run, I still didn't see the, the hitting and, and scoring position, and that's what they're going to have to do. Yes. Have a good night, and, and I love listening to you. Uh-huh. Thanks. Thanks, Carmen. I appreciate that. Yes, that's that's an excellent point. Not there. There aren't many other starters in the game of baseball right now that can give you nine innings, nine quality innings, like Derek Cole can and did. So yes, the fact that the their only offense was Aaron Judge's solo home run. Is concerning, uh, and I, you know, they they had they had some chances. It's top of the second. They had a Stanton walk and an Urshela single, and then nothing. Then you got top of the fourth. Torres stretching a single into a double. I wrote, "Good for him." Love the aggressiveness. Then you got Urshela flying out to right field. Advances Torres. Okay. Then you got Gardner flying out to left field. Inning over. Lo Castro blazing speed. Be- so they had they had. I don't know, they had a little bit going for them. They just couldn't bang it in. So that's what I'm saying. That's what you were saying, Carmen. I know that. So I, uh, I'm i with you on that. I I would love to see a little bit more offense from that team. They got the win, really, because of one swing of an Aaron Judge at bat and because of, and because of Garrett Cole's amazing performance. Historic. Historic, we'll say. Legendary. Any word that you want to use, that's what that was. Best of his career, that's for sure. Mike in Piscataway's that away. Mike, what's up on the fan? Hello, Danielle. Me here, you there. <laughs> that's um, right. Do you, <laughs> do you think Pete Alonso is a legit power hitter, or was his rookie year home run record a fluke? Mm, you know, that's a good question, because Pete Alonso, thanks, Mike, for the, that question. Pete Alonso... Won the home run derby, right, in, in his, uh, in his I guess, what was that, his rookie year, right? Yeah, he won it in his rookie year. Hit a ton of home runs in that, in that same year. My mind, as you were asking the question, flashed to Gleyber Torres. And I know that Pete Alonso had 57 home runs in that, in that I almost said freshman year. <laughs> Let's see where my mind's at. In that um, rookie year. Gleyber Torres also had a bunch of home runs, too. So I'm thinking that that might be the outlier in the data. 
I don't know if he's going to ever replicate that, but I wouldn't label him as a, a base hit, singles hitter. I mean, we'll see what he can do in the home run derby. And in that home run derby, in the first time around, he he, he did pretty well. He He squeaked out the win. And... Sorry about that, guy. So, yeah, so he squeaked out the win, really, at the end. I think he beat whoever it was by, by one. It was a score. I think it was 23-22 in that last round there. Is he, is he a – he's got power, and he's not a single hitter. He's like an in-betweener, I guess. I don't think he's that guy that you could slot into your number four spot and be like, this is the dude. I don't think so, which is fine. He doesn't have to be that. So I, I hope that answers the question. Let's go to Yonkers. Kevin, you're up next on the fan. Hey, good morning. How are you doing, my love? Good. How are you, Kevin? Uh, I'm fabulous. I, I, I had the pleasure of, of speaking with you several weeks back on a Saturday night because it's uh, the last day of school. And, and as the teacher as well, we were rejoicing at how awesome it is. How is your summer? <laughs> Hasn't been much of a summer. I've been in my pool one time, but that's okay. I'm, I'm here. I'm preparing for you guys for the show and everything. It's all good. It's all fun. A bad day off is better than a good day at work. You know, <laughs> uh, I uh, I typically would teach summer school uh, for years, and this I couldn't do it this year. I'm like, I need I need a break. Yeah, burnout, right? I, you know what? Oh, Every God. time I see on TV when they say about masks in school and all that, I, I just I have to walk away. I turn the channel, and I, I can't I can't with that again. I just I have to step away from it a little bit. It's it's too heavy, man. It's just too, you know too much going on. I you know definitely need that break. Um, so we, I hope you're enjoying your summer. As, yeah, as thanks. Am I. You too. Well deserved. Um, a couple of uh, comments, responses uh, to, to some uh, callers. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, uh, soccer. You know, in terms of Americans, you know, and the popularity. Uh, listen, it is just too damn boring, man. There isn't enough scoring. You know, what I mean, and and you know, Americans, are, you know, are what they are. Yeah, we like home runs and. Uh, you know, we like uh, we like high, we like offense. Okay, yeah. it's just you know we're just. I mean, the NFL uh, the NFL is changing has changed the rules to be more offensive, so that defense exactly. defenders can't make yeah, yeah. plays. You know, they can't touch them. Uh, absolutely, case in point. You look at NHL as being probably the least um, <clears throat> popular of the four majors, and it's the closest to soccer in the sense that uh, you know it's uh, you know low scoring, lots of defense and. You know, that's my, uh, that, that's why I think, you know, we are where we are with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, a caller made a, uh, made a comment about how, um, a- Italians are the majority ethnicity in the five boroughs. I would want to fact check that and know what the source is. I, I, I'm not, so, I know, I'm not, I'm not going down that route. Well, I'm just saying, yeah, to say that that's, that's highly unlikely. And if it is the case, I don't know the service. If it is the case, they they would simply be the major minority uh, at that. Yeah, uh, yes. Now to the Yankees. Um, uh, listen, signing Giancarlo Stanton and, and and having him on the team is is a mess that will not go away. Okay. Yeah. It it, it may it, it may move to as much as I hate to say it. I'm supporting the idea of shopping. What can we get for Judge? Because we're not going to get rid of this guy in this contract, okay? Um, the fact that uh, the Yankees and Boone uh, is insulting uh, the fan base 
and not having legitimate explanations as to why is this guy not playing the field? What do you have to get him revved up for yeah. to play the outside? I don't understand what the, what that means. And, and leaving it at that is just, as I said, insulting. It's just, it's not okay. Uh, Cashman, analytics, or, you know, whoever pulled the trigger and made that decision has to live with it and it, you were wrong. And it's a big, bad decision. Um, and it should cost some jobs, quite frankly. As, you know, when we're talking this much money, that high of a level of position. Right. You were, you were wrong, man. And you were way wrong. And it's, uh, we just can't have it. Uh, hopefully, uh, Glaber Torres, I would love if they come back after the break. Okay, and Glaber is playing second, Urshela is at short, and LeMahieu is at third. And the spin, uh, which I just think is brutally honest, is supporting Torres. Listen, he had his best years, okay, and was most productive playing second base. That's this correct. This is a motion. This is not a, a punishment, a penalty. Uh, we're family. Uh, we know how great this dude is, and he's done, you know, he, he's produced here before, so this is what we're doing. Okay, uh, and I think that would save Torres, uh, you know, in terms of supporting him, you know, not, you know, not knocking him uh, down in any type of way. But sadly, uh, while I, I, I do love, uh, love his play, uh, he's not a shortstop. I don't care if he's grown up and that's his natural position. I've seen enough to know that um, no, he's not, uh, he's not doing it uh, well enough. But this is forget about offense aside, you know. But at second base, I'm completely confident there and. Can only hope that his hitting comes back to what I, you know, believe, uh, you know, that he could be. But Brett Gardner and Gary Sanchez, uh, I left you last time and saying Sanchez was on his hot streak. It's short-lived, I said then. Look at where he is now. Yep. Uh, okay, again, snaps right back into what he is going to be because this is just what he is. Yep. Trade him and get whatever he can get because he's lazy, and I just don't want him on the team anymore. There's nothing positive, I, you know, nothing personal, but move on. And Gardner, I respect your career. I like him as a guy, but uh, seriously, come yeah, on, man. Stop, too, right? stop these guys down our throat. I know. Kevin. I thank you for the time, uh, Danielle. I wanted to fit a lot in, and then uh, I actually got to it. But I'd love to hear uh, anything that, that, uh, that you have to say about my uh, – Yankee idea, Bowdershella, yeah, uh, Torres. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, thanks for the call there. So the one thing I would say, and I know we have to we have to hit the break here, but the one thing I will say before we go to that break is that moving DJ LeMahieu to third base out of all of the positions that he's played, that is the worst of his fielding percentages. So I'm, I'm, I don't know if, you know, do you move him to placate the other one and, and raise potentially the other one? I I don't know. I don't know because honestly, I think I think I, I would tra- if this is a tank season. I would trade him because the, the the free agent class of shortstops is is second to none. And you go out and get yourself a shortstop next year. But I don't know. I don't know what you do. Honestly, I almost think you keep it the same way and you say Glaber, tough. You figure it out. Figure it out, and I haven't checked Urshela's uh, percentages at shortstop either. It's he's done it, but I don't know if he can do it every day. You know, he's a great third baseman. Do you weaken then third base? It's just something I'd have to look at the, their fielding percentages, and I can't give you the answer right this second. Um, although I, I don't think I would make the move. You know, anyway. So I had seen this. I had seen this at a um, 
Oh, okay. You, go ahead. Tell everybody. Yeah, so right now, Gio Rochella, he's got a nine, uh, .958 fielding uh, percentage at shortstop. What about third base? Third base, he's got 969. So obviously, he's playing 71 games at third base, only nine at shortstop. Yeah, that's a small sample size. But they're comparable numbers. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. All right, you guys, I, I, we're, we're ready to play a little game here. I've seen this on the CBS broadcast on Friday night, CBS local news on TV. I adapted it to fit my show here tonight. You guys on hold, you better stay there because I've got a quick New York sports spelling bee coming right up. I'm going to give you a word. You're going to spell it, and then you're going to make whatever point you have to make after that. You know, I'll give you the time to do that too, but this is going to be fun. You're going to get a New York sports word in the uh, in the honor of the Scripps National Spelling Bee on, uh, what was it, Friday night or Thursday night. So you're getting a New York sports word to spell. I hope you're ready for it, everybody. And get aboard at 877-337-6666 if you want to play. I'm Danielle McCartan after midnight on the fan. Welcome back to McCartan after midnight here on the fan in New York City at 3.48 in the morning, everybody. Spelling Bee champion, basketball star, TV star two. Zalia Avant-Garde won the Scripps National Spelling Bee on Thursday night. She's an eighth grader from Louisiana. She spelled the word Mariah. It's like a flower or something to win. She's apparently quite the basketball player. And I actually looked at some of her highlights when I heard that. I was like, yeah, okay. Now, she's pretty good, man. She's been in a commercial with Steph Curry. She's got a few world records for dribbling a basketball. Like the one video I saw, she's she's riding a tricycle. No, a unicycle. And she's dribbling three basketballs. So apparently she says she practices basketball seven hours a day. She has WNBA goals as well. So really cool. Way back when, my brother was actually in the preliminary rounds of that spelling bee. Everybody remembers their word. His was aspic, a savory jelly made with meat stock. Yuck. But what he did was he put a K at the end of it. He spelled it aspic. It's A-S-P-I-C. After the fact, he was like, yeah, I should have just looked at the judges and, you know, stopped at the C, and if they looked up, ended it there. That was pretty smart of him, but he didn't do it. So I was inspired by a segment by Steve Overmeyer and the local CBS news broadcast the other night to do this with you guys. So let's do it. Let's spell some New York sports-themed words. I've got easy, medium, and hard words. I've got nine. I always, I'm always prepared. I've got extra, so I've got nine. Ed in Hoboken. You're up. Do you want an easy, hard, or medium word first before you make your Gary Cole point? <laughs> uh, easy, but I already got Google up, so I feel like I should recuse myself. Oh, come on. This is easy, easy. All right. You're going to get right. Eli Manning's favorite audible call, Omaha. Oh, O-H-M-A-A. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> O-M-A-H-A. All right, good try. What do you got for me tonight? Thanks Thanks for playing along. Uh, <laughs> that's really embarrassing. That's okay. uh, <laughs> um, We're all friends here. Don't worry. I want to tap into your brain, the part of your brain that very few of us have, and that is being a coach. And, yes, their call tonight was epic. Mm-hmm. But, would you agree it is not as epic without that mound, uh, with that, with, with, without that scene on the mound? 
I mean, if you're making a movie, so, or even just the coverage, even the calls you got tonight about, you know, I'm a Yankee fan and I'm fawning over this, and I had a celebratory dinner, and um, it, it doesn't feel like it would have been the same if Boone had not come out to try to and remove him. Bold did not, you know, shut him down and and had that very expressive um, scene on the mound where he said, you know, he dropped a lot of expletives. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, I think that's a good question. I think there's wait, but yes, I got another one. Uh-huh. I got another one. Before that, with the Boone, uh, I'm sorry, with the Judge home run, mm-hmm. where he he pulled in his jersey to kind of troll out to I loved it. Okay. Now, all right. So you take those two in combination. All right. Judge trolling Altuve and Cole telling Boone to go back into your dugout and leave me alone. Yeah. When you put those together, does that, when you, can you, is there something in between the tea leaves that says this team is revolting against whatever Boone is selling? Huh. Uh, Ed, that's a good question there. So let's let's think of it on a few different levels here. First, my favorite, one of my favorite parts was Aaron Judge with pulling the jersey closed while he's rounding third base or about to round third base on the home run. And this is what he had to say after the game. Oh, no, it's, it's whenever they keep the roof close here, it's pretty chilly. So it's just, you know, let my team know, button up a little bit. So then when people uh, go on social media and say everything that you were trolling Jose Altuve for the don't rip my jersey off, they, they would be incorrect to assume that. Everyone's welcome to their own opinion. So my opinion here is this. Obviously, he was trolling Altuve. And I think every single person watching that game agrees. What I wish he would have said was just that. Yes, I was trolling Jose Altuve. Yes. Or I wish that he would have said, because he had time to think about it, and he knew he was going to be asked about that. He should have said, no, I just, I uh, I have a uh, a bad tattoo that I wanted to cover up. That's what I, I wish he would have said. But I, I digress there. So I don't know if that was a, you know, something directed towards Boone in any sort of way. That was obviously directed towards the Astros. But, um. On diff- uh, essentially, the question is, would this game have been as epic for Garrett Cole had there not been that whole kerfuffle on the mound? I still think yes, because there hasn't been a single pitcher in, in two seasons now that has pitched 129 pitches. And I think right then and there, that's it. But when you add in the layer of it's against his former team, it's in his old ballpark. It's his first time pitching against them as a Yankee since the the humongous contract. The fact that he was cheered, so he still liked there. He was cheered Friday night. They gave him a little scoreboard treatment too. I think, yeah, the game would have... how How many pitchers can really go nine innings, first of all? Not to mention 129 pitches in nine innings. Yeah, that was an epic performance from Garrett Cole. And... 
the theatrics on the mound made it that much better. And I think that was the kind of, I'm sticking it to you, Aaron Boone. I am not coming out of this game. I, I would love to see more pitchers do that. I know that they won't because they don't have the clout that Garrett Cole does. But I would love to see more of it because I'm tired of seeing these pitchers being yanked. And this goes back to last year. And since I've been on the air, that Aaron Boone is, is the manager, he yanks the pitchers way too early. And he has a shaky bullpen, a really shaky bullpen now. I wouldn't be doing it. And again, I point to Nestor Cortez, bottom of the fifth inning, 74 pitches in with Altuve Dua. And he was 0 for 2 versus Altuve, uh, versus Cortez. So why yank him? Let's go to Queens. Alex, you're up next on the fan. Oh, wait, Alex, i got to give you a word. Do you want an easy word, a medium word, or a hard word? Alex, are you scared to play the game? All right, you lose, Alex. You're out. All right, Paul, let's go to you, Paul. Would you like an easy word, a medium word, or a hard word, a New York sports spelling bee word? Uh, give me, uh, give me the hot one. Let's try the hot one. Okay, these are hard. These are really, these are really hard. Okay, your word is going to be Litke, as in Lucas Litke, the pitcher. Oh, geez. I told you. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Let's see. Uh, capital L. Yes. U. C. L. U. E. T. G. E. You picked it hard. It was hard. What do you got for me tonight, Paul? Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just like uh, what I've been saying all along with the uh, analytical. Uh, Duty, uh, duty poo with the the way they get it, get this. I know I'm sounding like Mike and Robbie. <laughs> um, I mean it's ridiculous to have to see uh, uh, Christian Yolich and Aaron Judge and Joey Votto batting second in the line. I can't stand Not it. Not upon my stand. I can't yeah. stand it. You're right. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. For a yeah. team like the Yankees, that's the, it's hard to come. Runs are hard to come by. I cannot understand right. and fathom why you would have your home run hitter batting second. Right. Right. I bet you my uh, nephew's laughing. He's probably... <laughs> I bet you uh, Nikki's listening. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the track appealed. Uh, uh, my father used to run track uh, when he uh, when he, he was at uh, St. John's. Uh-huh. And uh, as to how he got his uh, grandchildren into uh, track and field with uh, Pete and Nikki uh, at, uh, at St. Anthony's High School. Oh, they actually loved it. Oh, oh. Had a super love for track and field. Yeah. Well, Paul, thanks for being a contestant on my on my oh. New York sports oh, sure. spelling bee. And thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. And thank you, Dan. All right. Bye. Yeah, I can't. I cannot fathom why these guys. These. these I will just take Aaron Judge because he's the New York dude. But I can't understand why they have him batting second. I mean, I can. I understand that the analytics say you should put, you know, your best hitters up at the top of the order so that they get more chances. Uh, you know, to do some damage. I, I get that part. But when your best hitter is also your best, most consistent, I should say, home run hitter, then why are you batting him second? The only other person that could that could be on base, you know, theoretically to start the game would be DJ LeMahieu. That's it. And at the most, you're hitting a two-run home run. And you got Francisco Lindor hitting grand slams. I don't know. But that was a, he was not, that was not like, he was not the, obviously the second batter of the inning. Yeah, yeah, look at Sports Radio 105.9.
Welcome back on this lively, lively Sunday morning here. Sunday the 11th, 7-11. Do 7-Eleven still give out free Slurpees? I, I think they might, right? On 7-Eleven Day? All right, well, you guys, there, there's your there's your little update. Go check it out if your local 7-Eleven gives out free Slurpees on 7-Eleven Day. Because I know that they used to. I've gotten it before. But anyway, that's that's not a paid advertisement or anything. I just looked at the date and saw it and wanted to help you guys out a little bit. Right. And it rhymes with Kevin. Kevin, seven eleven. Kevin is on the on the phones. He's on the ones and twos. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six is the phone number. If uh, you are a pro athlete leaving an after party of that big award show in town, uh, you give me a call. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Rob Gronkowski, I'm looking for you. They're just showing you right on TV right now. <laughs> um, couple things. It's been a big night. McGregor Poirier. Fight ended in a technical knockout, but not in the sense that you thought it might. If you haven't seen it yet, Kevin's a little squeamish. We were just talking how squeamish Kevin is. He doesn't even want to see it. There is a broken ankle on the cards, in the cards for Conor McGregor, unfortunately. Um, I was, I didn't see it. I'm being honest. I didn't see it. I was kind of trying to... Uh, closed my eyes before the show started, didn't happen, and then never really does. And then I was driving in, and I kind of, that's when all the tweets and everything happened. So I was driving, honestly. So, but I did, I was texting with, uh, you might know her, Misha Tate. <laughs> um, she is obviously preparing for her big, big, big UFC comeback. I'm so happy and excited. That's next Saturday, uh, a week technically a week from now in Vegas. She's going to be having the comeback fight of the century. We'll, we'll see. Um, but she said that the broken ankle occurred on its own. He just literally stepped wrong and it snapped. And then she sent me a picture of it. I don't know, Kevin, if you want to see this, but she she, uh, she sent me a picture of it while I was... I actually just tweeted something right now. I can't I can't <laughs> handle gruesome injuries, but I did it, though. I tweeted it out. So my, my question for you guys is, will there be a fourth... McGregor Poirier fight after that. I gave you a choice on, on Twitter. I gave you two choices. Yes, what was that tonight was one of the choices. And the other one was no, McGregor is finished. Wow, this is not how I thought this was going to go. 70% of you guys said no, McGregor is finished. You, they, you can't end that that trilogy on that. I, I really, I think there's going to be another one. Um, it can't. It, it, it's not going to be right away. I think Poirier is going to get a couple fights in between there, maybe two or even three of them, McGregor will not go out like that. No way, you guys. He can't. Then we've been talking about Garrett Cole, the fire, the grit, the resilience of, of that masterful performance of Garrett Cole tonight. And my two favorite parts of that game was, was Aaron Judge trolling entire Astros nation, holding his jersey closed as he was going around third base on that home run. Nice. I loved it. Loved every part of it. Except for his explanation. He should have said he had a bad tattoo. But, okay, it's all right. He had the presence of mind to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm with it. It was smart. It was good. And, uh, but not to be outdone by Garrett Cole's dramatic performance, he should be winning an Oscar for best performance on the mound when Aaron Boone came out to take him out. Because I believe that's what was happening. He, I, we had a caller before suggest that possibly, I think it was you, Carmen, possibly he was just going out to calm him down. Maybe, potentially, probably, could have been. But if that was the case, I don't think he would have reacted in that way. I mean, it's been playing on here a couple times. 
I don't think that happened that, it, that way. I think he was trying to take him out, and he was like, no, hell no, I am not coming out, especially with a role as Chapman warming up in that bullpen. I see him, and he is not coming out on this mound over my dead body. couple expletives, strikes out the last batter on a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. Boom, there you go. And then Mets at the trade deadline. Yeah, we've got a suggestion of Chris Bryant on the table. and. Yeah, I, I didn't realize this, but he's played, at, you know, basically 20 games at rounding off, obviously, at, at both every outfield position and at third base. I didn't realize that. That upped his stock in my book, except for the fact that he would be a rental player. On, on one of the breaks I looked into his contract, he would be sort of like a rental player. And unless the Mets plan to re-up him right away, I don't know if you're, you're going to do it. I don't know if you'd do it. I don't know if I would do it for a guy that's going to be gone within just a couple months. Because I don't think he's the guy that puts you over the hump, if that makes sense. And then I think a lot of Mets fans do not want Josh Donaldson. A lot of his former teammates are coming out and saying that he was a terrible teammate. That's just something that you cannot have in this in this Mets clubhouse that really has to, seems like it's got everything going for them. So back to your calls, 877-337-6666. Kevin, should we keep the, the spelling bee going? Let's keep it going. All right, Andy, right. you are the next contestant on the spelling bee here, the, the New York spelling bee. What is up? I, I, what is up, Coach? I think this will be humiliating. Ah, I, okay. I, I am not as good as you with Vernon's uh, calls, but I'll take a medium word. A medium word. All right. I wrote them in yellow to signify medium. Okay. Um, I've got – all right, you're a mess fan, though, right? So I'm going to give yes. you Cindergard. All right, that's – Somewhat doable. Uh, it's S Y N D E, and here's where it gets tricky. Uh, <laughs> R yes. G A R R D. Oh no! What a, right? No, uh, it's G A A R D. Two A's. Two A's. One R. Wow. Cindergard. Humbling. This is very humbling. <laughs> this is great. I love this. This is, I hope you guys are. I hope everybody's like getting a good laugh out of this. Not out of you, Andy. This is fun. We're all family here. But no, it's totally cool, and it's a very fair word. All right, so I want to go with a Yankee point, and then I'd like to go with a, a, a controversial two-part Met point. Okay. Stay with you, Coach. Let's go with the Yankee point first. Right. I just want to say, I switched over to the Yankee game after after um, Diaz's seventh inning, and I was just my jaw dropped. Because, you know, Boone pulls pitchers so early. And I was rereading on Fox the, the pitch count to see if I had it right. And I knew I was, you know, you knew from keeping up that it was a one nothing game. And I was really impressed because there was so much talk about spider attack. And there was so much talk about how you've got a three hundred million pitcher that you've invested in for 10 years now. And now this is what it's going to be like after spider attack. And it sounds like you... You were playing some comments that he gave in the, in the post game, which I watched. And I got to tell you, it was just so exciting watching the ninth inning of that game. And it was so exciting listening to him in the post game press conference because he made it perfectly clear that he wasn't coming out. And he realized that Boone had told him the, the, the thing that Boone had told him is when he said he wasn't coming out, you have one more hitter. And I immediately came back to Mike Mussina doing the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. and winning, and also Matt Harvey doing that 
uh, to Terry Collins and losing. Mm-hmm. And then I also started thinking about Johan Santana because I think Johan Santana might have been at like 134, um, and he was never the same pitcher again. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. you know, here's a $300 million pitcher, a $300 million investment, and, yeah, this is a really important regular season game. Maybe ten, tonight was the reason the Yankees will be buyers instead of sellers because Houston brings out the best of them, and you want to talk about a troll job. 2019 award winners, 2019 award winners, 2017 award winners, yes. all three games against the Yankees. They're yep. doing giveaways. The giveaways, yeah. Were they cheated? Um, yep. you know, and you know that I'm sure a lot of teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees uh, players probably told them not to show because conveniently, Carlos Correa, you know, at the shortstop. Yeah, he's on the uh, COVID protocol list, health and safety right. protocol list. But yeah. even before they were in the COVID list, they weren't coming to the All-Star game. And you'd like to think that, you know, maybe the Yankees and Dodgers had something to do with that. But um, Oh, you never know. They've had no repercussions. So to watch to watch Cole do that, and then if you watched Marley Rivera asked him a question, I think she's a great reporter, and I give her credit for asking them. You know, I saw that uh, response. He, he wanted no part oh, of it. The response was amazing because you can see how he got labeled with a spider tech because he just is incapable of lying. Mm-hmm. He really thinks about his answers. Yeah. And, like, he didn't want to disclose how sick he was. So he goes, look, you don't want me to get into how sick I was. It's disgusting. Yes. And then he told Marley Rivera in, like, what, one sentence, look at my record, look at my career. It speaks for itself. And as an athlete, you have to respect that. He's saying I'm not spider tag, and I think that's what that whole game was. And I think you compare that to Stan, who can't play the outfield. <laughs> What's up and with it's that? Also a three hundred million dollar player. I mean, if that, even if you don't like the Yankees, and I clearly like the Mets more than the Yankees, you have to be exhilarated by that kind of reaction. And yeah, I think a game like that, where you take two from the best team in baseball, or at least the best record in baseball since the Yankees beat them last time because they have the best record in baseball since the Yankees beat them last time. I think you have to say it's a game that could really change the season, and it's a game that can make you buyer instead of seller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think if you're a Yankee fan, you might be, we might be looking at this a week and two weeks from now and saying this was the turning point in the Yankee season. And and let's see, let's see if they have the brooms out in Houston later today. We'll, we'll see. And then, but, but my my real litmus test, though, and I know the the Astros are great and, and all that, right? But my real litmus test for them is going to be that Boston Red Sox series. They haven't beaten them yet. If they could take two out of three versus the Red Sox, they are going to be buyers. I I agree. And here, really quickly, segues into my Met point. Is it possible? Because I agree with the quote that the manager just gave. Uh, Rojas just said it was the finest performance of Diaz's career. Mm-hmm. He was one pitch away from an immaculate inning. I know, yeah, ten he had pitches. Three, ten pitches, three strikeouts, yeah. and I'm watching this, and I'm like, could this be the same guy that in 2019 was so awful? And I guess my question for you, Coach, and maybe it's a con- – well, I'm sure it's a controversial question. You know, Kelnick came up and hit 111, and they sent him back to AAA, and the backstory behind Kelnick is um, if the Mets – owner had paid a little bit more of Cano's contract, the prospect that was thrown into the deal, the Diaz did not have to be Kelman. Mm. But, you know, the Mets were so hard up for money, or at least their owners were, they said, no, we don't want to pay this percentage of Cano's contract, so they had to throw in Kelman. And I guess my question is, as crazy as this sounds for Cano, 
is it possible in retrospect that if this is the best reliever since Billy Wagner, and I think he is for the Mets, is it possible that this trade is not as awful as it seemed, number one? And then number two, my second controversial question to you is this. Given that Strowman has had three, what I think are safe to say, subpar outings, and that I hate to say this, I hate to say this, my fellow Italian, Conforto, mm-hmm. continues to perform the way he's performing. Mm-hmm. And then you take Nemo, who came back at the same time, mm-hmm. and it's so clear has been a spark plug for the entire Mets offense. Yes. And if you look at the way the Mets have accelerated, it's Nimmo. And if you look at Nimmo before he got hurt in the finger, he was just as good, mm-hmm. if not better. My question is, do you re-sign Stroman and Conforto? Okay, good questions there, Andy. Always a good call there. So the first thing, and, and when we're, I was writing this down, Conforto, Stroman, uh, as you were talking here, Diaz, as I think Diaz in that deal was the catch. He was the token piece in that deal. I think the Mets had done Seattle a huge favor by taking Cano off of their hands and that deal off of, off, off their hands. And it, and it just so happened that he was a CAA client of uh, Brody Wagon, Brody Van Wagenen's, you know, firm. I know he didn't, have, he wasn't part of it anymore, but clearly, he, he obviously, you just when you leave a place of work, you don't sever the ties. I mean. The guy from my old school literally called me yesterday. So um, the Mets totally did Seattle a favor. Diaz was the catch. This is the Diaz that, that give him a little bit of credit, that Brody Van Wagenen sought out to get. I think that, honestly, I think the pandemic season with no fans in the stands really righted the ship with Edwin Diaz. I told you that. I told you that right from the beginning that when they hired Carlos Beltran as manager, one of the quotes I saw from Diaz was, he was excited to pick the brain of someone that has played in the, in the pressures of New York. I'm paraphrasing it, obviously, but it's been years. But that told me right there that he wasn't ready to go out there in front of the New York crowd. And then you saw you saw it. And then without the crowd, he did better. And then now he's just he's, he's got total confidence. He's got the, the people behind him now, not against him. So he just he's, apparently he's a sensitive guy. And so is Lindor, by the way. So do you re-sign Conforto and Stroman? Okay, with Conforto, I think that his poor performance this year is going to dictate the fact that he's not going to get paid how he thinks he's going to get paid. So if the Mets can get him at, you know, a good deal, and I don't know what a good deal looks like right now, if he wants to return to the Mets, if they make a deep run in the playoffs and he wants to return, then you know what? Then I would do it. I don't know if Stroman's going to be a Met. I know he likes to be a Met. But I think he might be, and I don't want to say too expensive because I know the Mets have the most, you know, richest owner in what all the sports or second richest owner of all the sports. Uh, I don't know if Stroman will be back. People are saying he should have been an All Star. I disagree. I can never say this word vehemently. 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 I can never say that word. But anyway, I disagree completely. Let's just substitute it. I disagree completely. That uh, that uh, Strowman should have been an All Star. I, I studied him. I did the, the you know, not even on the second batch, not even on the B team All Stars should Strowman be an All Star. So long winded answer to the question. I think Conforto eventually will stay, and I think Strowman's going to go. I think long term, but it also depends on how the team does down the stretch. And by the way, Kellenic, his his MLB career so far, eighty three at bats. He's got a .096 batting average. 
Um, I think that's kind of what I would probably have too with a, with a major league bat in my hand. That's I mean I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, so I, I'll give you some more words if you guys want to play along still. Um, let's see. What can we do next? I'd like to do. Hmm. Yeah, let's go with uh, let's let's keep it short. Speaking of Brandon Nemo, I did a uh, a player comp with him and somebody else. I gave it away the other night. Mystery player A versus mystery player B. Um, just the resurgence of Brandon Nemo has been great. So we will talk about that coming up right after this quick short break. Town Fair Tire became New England's number one discount tire dealer by giving you the absolute lowest prices guaranteed. And with over 100 stores from Connecticut to Maine, we'll beat anybody's price. Other dealers, we beat them. Warehouse clubs, we beat them. Online sites, we beat them all every day. So remember, for the absolute guaranteed lowest price on name brand tires, nobody beats Town Fair Tire. Nobody. If you could buy a Saturday to do whatever you want, how much would it be worth to you? 1-800-GOT-JUNK can sell you two free Saturdays a year. Give us a call and we'll bring them right over. The average family spends two Saturdays a year. Wrestling with junk we could easily make disappear. The junk that would take you hours to haul away will be gone in a matter of minutes. Give us a call. We make junk disappear. All you have to do is point. Call 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Or visit 1-800-GOT-JUNK.COM. They are back. Imagine a gentleman's club with gorgeous, exotic dancers every day. Hey, big boy. From the people who make fantasies come true, Gallagher's 2000 in Long Island City is the place to be. Gallagher's 2000, a gentleman's club for today's gentlemen. Gallagher's 2000 features two floors, three stages, and discounted drinks. Gallagher's 2000, now open five days a week, Tuesday through Saturday from 4 p.m. to midnight. Come on down, big boy. Gallagher's 2000 is located at 4319 37th Street in Long Island City, just a half block north of Queens Boulevard. Call 718-361-1348. That's 718-361-1348. Gallagher's 2000 is unlike any club in New York. Come today for the time of your life. Gallagher's 2000. Let your imagination run wild. Guys, it's Ricky Ricardo here for Super Jeweler. Have you heard that jewelry stores want you to spend three months' salary on your engagement ring? Are they crazy? And some stores want to sell you a worthless laboratory-grown diamond? Forget that. You've got to check out SuperJeweler.com. Real diamonds, amazing prices, and a lifetime guarantee. You will crush it, and your fiancé will be five-star happy. Engagement rings from SuperJeweler.com. SuperJeweler.com. Not For Mercedes-Benz selection, where else but Mercedes-Benz of Edison? For Mercedes-Benz pricing, where else but Mercedes-Benz of Edison, where you're going to find incredible lease and finance specials on all models. For a huge selection of Mercedes-Benz certified pre-owned vehicles, where else but Mercedes-Benz of Edison? When your Mercedes-Benz needs service, Mercedes-Benz of Edison, once again. When it comes to service, selection, and prices, where else but Mercedes-Benz of Edison? On Route 1, or visit Ray Katina Edison. Hi, this is 
Suzanne Liguori. Today and every Sunday morning at 7, it's Talking Golf with lots of special guests and your calls right here on The Fan and streaming on WFAN.com. Welcome back to McCartan in the morning now here on this July 11th, 2021. Do not forget, we have Crystal Dunn from the U.S. Women's National Team joining us at 440 as part of my homegrown Olympian segment, everybody. So just before we get to that and before we get back to your calls, 877-337-6666, really, really, really quickly, Brandon Nimmo had the top play of the night on Sports Center from that other network. Number one play of the night. He jumped up, up and over the center field fence to absolutely rob a home run. Beautiful play. So for those of you thinking and saying that, ah, you know, it's the beginning of the year, like, oh, we need a center fielder. The Mets, we, 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 we need a center fielder. Wow, wow, wow. Guess what? You got one. His name is Brendan Nimmo, man. He, going into that series, by the way, my player A and player B, mystery players, Everybody wanted Jackie Bradley Jr. I, how many phone calls did I get about Jackie Bradley Jr.? I'm like, Brendan Demos going to be fine. He's going to be fine, everybody. He's he's a good center fielder. He's fine. Brendan Nimmo outplays Jackie Bradley Jr. in every one of these categories. Are you ready? Batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, total bases per game, runs per game, fielding percentage, and pitches per at-bat. All of them. And I purposely picked those stats one, to paint a really good picture, and two, to kind of negate the fact that Brandon Nimmo has, hasn't played in as many games this season as him. So these are all things that are like total bases per game. I did it like that instead of just total bases. You know what I'm saying? So these are all comparable stats. So Jackie Bradley Jr., go ahead and take a seat. Brandon Nimmo, I think, is going to be a Met for a really long time. And if he does sign a long-term contract, I am buying an authentic Brandon Nimmo jersey. He's my favorite Met. I think. Um, I think might be ever. He's a great guy. I just I just like him. He's a good guy. Let's go to uh, back to your calls eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Stewart in Brooklyn. You're up on the fan. Good morning, Coach. How are you? Great. How are you? No, I can't stand Aaron Boone's press conferences. I keep <laughs> on things in 2018 again after every loss. But Danielle, they're saying that Cashman's not going to be fired because he's been there so long, and he, they say he's on the same page with Hal Hal Steinbrenner. Doesn't it seem like it though? It doesn't seem like it he does. Is. I know. It's, I think I've never heard of a GM being in a job for twenty-three years. Never, and Boone. Uh, Let's say, do you remember um, Bob Gibson? You ever, no. you ever see Bob Gibson pitch? No. I saw Bob Gibson pitch. I saw Marischal. I saw, I saw all of them except for the guys who were back in the fifties. Mm-hmm. You would have told, told Bob Gibson a hundred pitches. You're coming out. I think the manager might, might have been had a problem, <laughs> uh, as well as a big D Don Drysdale and. Uh, you know, guys like, uh, you know, all Tom Seaver had to do was stare down Gil, and Gil would have left him in the game. <laughs> um, yeah. I think Gary Cole's at that level now with Boone. Um, yeah, well, you might know what Boone, he's got to stop with the bullpen. Stop with the analytics. You've got to stop it already. Enough with the analytics. You go with your gut. 
I know. You, you can't keep with the analytics. The analytics, the analytics are driving me crazy. A yeah. hundred pitches. Give me a break. These guys can draw more than a hundred pitches. And uh, as I said, I think I don't know if I said this to you before, but if they would stop concentrating on throwing the ball through the brick wall and get more movement on the fastball, make the ball move, yes. not stay on a straight line. Yep. You get more movement, you get more strikeouts, you get more ground ball outs. I mean, these guys are going about it the wrong way. They're going about it the wrong way in every aspect of the game. Their conditioning, they want to be muscle-bound. Okay, we'll, we'll go back to Scott Steiner with Big Papa Pump having two muscles on top of each other with the steroids. These guys are going about it the wrong way. They, they, they're trying to, they are so tightly wound that every little mis- wrong move is going to end up in the I.L. Well, I, I think uh, I think that's a good point there, Stuart, and I think that's why at least, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Aaron Judge had, and Giancarlo Stanton have worked yoga into their off-season programs. I know Stanton hasn't seen a field, so that's a big question mark for me, but knock on wood, Aaron Judge has been pretty healthy. So, yes, I, while I understand that, yes, I, and I'm really also tired of the bullpenning, too. Like, I mean, how could you even think to go to Aroldis Chapman in that scenario? One nothing game. You didn't even think to go to him in the four nothing game the day before. Why on earth would you have him in that spot? Aroldis Chapman, until he sees that he's a hundred percent confident in his abilities, Aroldis Chapman should be the first guy out of the bullpen. Let Chad Green close it down. Let Zach Britton close it down when he comes back, which should be any day now. Even Lucas Licky, let him close it down. But I, I was yelling at the TV like, "What are you doing?" Sit him down. Sit him down. Because you know how that game was going to end. Let's go to Market Martin in Guilford, Connecticut. You're up next on the fan, Martin. Medium, please. Oh, medium. Oh, you so want to play the game. Yes. Okay. Uh, you've got a Yankee point, right? So let me go with LeMay. Oh, LeMay. LeMay. Oh, my God. I'm not a Yankee fan. Um, oh, I'm no. not going to get this one. Oh, no. Uh <laughs> Lame, well, L E M. This gets kind of fun. A I. No, we haven't gotten one right. L E M A H I E U. Okay, Danielle. Danielle, I'm going to give you a very common word. Okay. I'm a, and you'd be surprised how few people can spell this correctly, including hotels before spell check. Yes. Accommodation. Accommodation. Two C's or one? Uh, it's two C's, two M's. Well, you're not done. <laughs> there's a vowel issue that there's a vowel issue that people get there, wrong. All right, A. I gotta write this down as I do. I'm a visual person. A C C O M M. Oh, I see where the com mo o d t a a com. A C C O M O D A T I O N accommodation. Wait, did you say one or two M's? Two C's, two M's. And then O M M O R A. Oh my God, Martin, you're killing me, man! I got it. Believe me, I got it. What's your What's your judge point? I think. He, <laughs> well, I think you miss. Good job. I think you misread, you misunderstood Judge Point. I think Judge handled that answer perfectly because when um, Altuve was asked, he lied. And so when Judge asked, he clearly lied on purpose just to 
just to make fun of uh, El Tuve's lie. I thought it was an absolutely perfect response. You liked it? I, I'm not, still not a fan. I like the explanation you just gave, but I'm still not a fan. He should have said something more direct, like, I had a tattoo. I had a bad tattoo. Like, that would have been great. Yeah. I think. Well, I think I think his answer is much much more subtle and much more conniving. I really enjoy it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Anyway. That's how he is. He's subtle, conniving, but he's very smart with how he does things. Oh yeah, he's an intelligent dude. Well, that's all I got, Danielle. I just want to see if I can spell, which I clearly can't. Yeah. You can. So you have you have a great night. <laughs> Thanks, Martin. You too. Um, I just I, I imagine people yelling at the radios like she got it from the beginning. Two C's, two M's. Anyway, let's go to Allendale, New Jersey, my neck of the woods. Graham, you're on the fan. Graham. Hey, Danielle, you got, you got me? Yes, you're here. Hey, long time no talk. I know, it has been. What's up? What do you got for me tonight? All right, now, I mean, if you gave me 20 minutes, I could talk about the Yankees 20 minutes. Yes. But I, I know I can't. Um, the Yankees can't really, you know, be buyers at the deadline because of the, uh, you know, obviously the luxury tax threshold. Mm-hmm. A and B, if I'm Steinbrenner, why would I give Cashman $40 million more dollars you know, he hasn't done anything with, with $200 million this year. But the Yankees do have a long history of adding guys from the minors up to the Ross that really kind of jumpstart the system. Yeah. And this team is very right-handed. Now, I really wish that Esteban Florio had gotten more of a, a, a play when he got called up. I mean, he got three games, three at-bats. He's a lefty bat, center fielder. Um, not having a great minor league season. Well, you know the what? They're, they're, they'd rather go with Grandpa Gardner. That's the thing. Yeah, listen, I, I love Gardner to death. I hope that one day he's a bench coach, third base coach, whatever. His time is done. But yeah. and listen, he was one. And he was one of those guys that when he was called off, he was not a highly heralded prospect. Mm-hmm. But spark plug the Yankees. Right. The guy that I'm looking at that is not one of our top. 20, 30 prospects, Hoy Doug Park. I've seen now, the name. I don't know too much about him, but I have seen the name. I am intrigued by him, yes. So he's been a professional player, been with uh, three, four organizations since 2015. Every place he's gone, his batting average has gone up from 230s. Now he's hitting about 320 with Triple A Yankees. He's always been an on-base guy. His on-base is always plus 100, plus 120. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a little bit of pop. He's got nine homers. Uh, he, he loves to steal bases, gets caught a little bit, but that's not really part of, of today's game. But he also, while is traditionally a middle infielder, the AAA Yankees have been playing him in center and left. And, look, I love Duhar, but – even though he's been getting his play, he's still now a 250 hitter. That's somebody we can move. You know, it's it, it's mm-hmm. time to get some left-handed bats in this lineup. It, it's time to give somebody else a chance. I agree with you, and I think that's part of the Yankees' whole MO this season. I mean, I've been trying to get Clint Frazier a chance for a really long time, and it's just not working out. It's just they are so dead set. Uh, dead fast, dead pan, or whatever you want to say, on, on Brett Gardner. He was signed to be the – I'm with you. I would love to see some of these other guys, especially being so far back in this – I mean, Brett Gardner, uh, what, what is his batting average right now? Gardner, stats, I mean, he's got to be batting like, what, 190? He's got a – yeah, 193 batting average. 
I mean, you can't tell me that any of these other guys, these younger guys, could, could do the same or end or better. Three home runs that Brett Gardner's got. His war is zero. Get somebody else in there. Brett Gardner, I know you came through with two RBIs the other night. Good for you. Great. But you got Hoy John Park. He's, he's hitting 320 with nine home runs and 28 RBIs. I think this boils down to, like, the service time debate. Like, I don't think they want to call him up, anybody up, because they want to keep him down. And that's not a Yankee thing. That's an MLB thing that needs to be addressed in this next CBA with the service time and starting the clock. I think they want to not start the clock on these guys, which is a shame because they could really use the help. Brett Gardner and his three home runs and 193 batting average. Give me a break. 308 on base percentage. Give me a break. Let's go to Matt in Rockland. You're up next on the fan. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. So today, uh, funny Yankee point here. I, I caught myself thinking about the MLB draft and what the Yankees are going to do and everything. Yeah. But I, I caught myself and realized Yankees are not good at drafting. Because when I look at the team, only one guy, and I, maybe two because I'll throw Gardner in there. Gardner and Judge is the really only big contributors, and I can't even call Gardner a Big contributor, but you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. That the Yankees drafted and that came up through the system. If you go player by player, they're all either were acquired in a trade from some other team system, or you know the Yankees signing free agency. And you know you look at a team like the Dodgers, and that's a team who just seems to find all these guys, and they're and they're taking around the same area as us in the draft, and they're finding these guys who are coming up and contributing. Yeah. So it just made me. You know, real, I caught myself thinking about it. I was like, yeah, what do I care anyway? I'm never going to see this guy. And if I do, you know, I'm not going to see him for three years at least. So, Well, that's the yeah, problem. Yeah, you know, I can't – and Matt, good point. I just – I can't get excited about the MLB draft, and be really honest with you, because once they draft him, it's like, all right, see you in 10 years. Like, all right. Yeah. It's not like the NBA yeah. draft where it's like, okay, we're going to see him next season, or the NFL draft where it's like, okay, we're going to see him next season. Like, that's exciting to me. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's interesting because – the MLB has done things to try and make the draft more, you know, appealing to fans, you know, having some of the, the top draft picks yeah. and whatnot. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you draft them, and they don't. it's not even like they start out at, like, you know, A ball. Yeah. You know, they go to, like, uh, rookie ball or something. You know, it's just, know. you don't see them, if, especially if they're coming out of high school. Right. You don't see them, you know, three, four years. I mean, James Caprillion, and he was injured a lot when he was with the Yankees. He's mm-hmm. on the Oakland Athletics now. Mm-hmm. I was a senior in high school when they drafted him. I'm, I'm done with college now. Exactly. I mean, and he just made his debut, you know, last year, but, you know, his first full season debut this year. So it's just, you know, they draft people and you don't see them for a while, and it's, it's kind of just like, you know, takes the fun out of it a little bit. Yeah, no, Matt, I'm totally with you on that. Yes, it, it's hard to get into it because and, – and even if your team drafts somebody, then three, four, within those three, four, five years, that they're, they might be on a different team. So I get you. But coming up next – i got to get you guys a good interview with Crystal Dunn from the U.S. Women's National Team as part of my homegrown Olympian segment. She's from Rockville Center, Long Island. Enjoy, everybody. guest to join us on my homegrown Olympian segment here on the fan in New York City, an integral member of the world-famous U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, Crystal Dunn. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So first, this is homegrown. So we, we talked from, from Southside High School in Rockville Center 
to Rio, many places in between, and now on to Tokyo, Crystal. Could you, if you could title a movie or a book about your life and career, what would it be called? Oh gosh, what a hard question! A movie and a book. Um. Oh my gosh. I don't know, but it would have to be a movie where somebody has traveled all over the place and have been thrown through all types of hoops. So um, I will get back to you on that. That's a really great question. No one has ever asked me that before. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, and I can't be – I'm not so creative on the spot either, so I can't come up with something to help you here. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess what are, I mean, some of your fondest memories playing soccer on Long Island? Where, where did you start? How did it come up? And, and what are your – best memories. Yeah. So, I mean, how I got into soccer is like pretty interesting. My parents are from Queens, New York, and we moved out to Long Island when I was about three. And, you know, that's, you know, not as young as three, but maybe around four or five is where I first uh, saw soccer. And I told my parents, you know, I want to play. It looks fun. And I saw some kids kicking the ball around and and having a grand old time. So I um, got into soccer in that way. So it's kind of cool because my parents knew nothing about the sport. So it was just me you know, getting to know, you know, what the sport has to offer and, and just really truly falling in love with it. So, yeah, I grew up on Long Island, played soccer, kicked the ball there for the first time ever in Rockwell Center. And, you know, fast forward, I feel like I just I've always been motivated to really just be at my absolute best. And, you know, making it onto the national team was something that I didn't even know was possible. I didn't even know if that was what I thought my future would be. So I've just always been so motivated to just continuously get better and be the best person and player I can be. And then, you know, doors have swung open in my direction. And I, you know, am so fortunate for it to be able to go to UNC on a on a scholarship. And then obviously, like I said, being on the women's national team now has been uh, a complete honor. Yeah. You know, my first memory of soccer, actually, it's funny you say that. Me and my dad were watching a game one time at our rec field in town, and I was like, um, it's not for me. I don't want to wear shorts in the cold. <laughs> so Honestly, it is a sport where you go through so many, like, different climates, and you're like, wait, you want me to kick a ball around in this, like, extreme heat and then also in this extreme cold weather? Like, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> now, did you play any of the rec leagues in town, or are you more of, like, a club player uh, in Long Um, I definitely start. I mean, I'm sure when I was, like, five, from ages five to, like, eight, I was, like, playing for some random team, but, like, it was all in, it was only in Rockwell Center, um, and then when I got to a certain age, I played for, yeah, their, their local club team. Now, did you always have Olympic dreams playing on that club team? Did you one day say, like, I want to be on the Olympic team? Honestly, short answer is no. Uh, I kind of touched on it before. I was, you know, just this young girl that fell in love with a sport that, you know, my family knew nothing about, I knew nothing about, and then I happened to be really good at it. So, of course, I just progressed from one level to another. And I think what really kept me motivated to stay in the sport was my full-on love for the game and how it made me feel and my freedom to, like, express myself. And I think as I moved from one level to another, of course, I was like, all right, I'm on to the next. You know, moving from high school to college, I was like, great, this is fun. I'm going to keep playing. And then – you know, I realized towards the end of my collegiate career, I was like, all right, I have to figure out what I want to do after. Like, is it playing pro? Is it competing to be uh, playing for the women's national team? And I think I kind of stayed very short-term uh, minded, and I think that's actually what helped me really just truly enjoy and embrace the journey that I've been on. Now, you just mentioned playing professionally. You play in Portland. So how do you maintain any New York roots out there in Portland, Oregon? <laughs> 
Um, so there's a few words that everyone still makes fun of me for, and it's ball, walk, talk, uh, coffee. I mean, I still have my New York twang, and it's never, ever going to go away. But um, living on the West Coast is definitely different. I'm an East Coast girl, obviously, and I just try to bring a little bit my, of my New Yorkness to the West Coast, you know, whether it's me moving with pace and, you know, yelling at people for driving too slow, obviously. Um, there's definitely certain things that people are like, okay, she must be from the East Coast. <laughs> For sure. Now, this is a return to Tokyo for you, actually, in this Olympics. You played there in the Under-20 World Cup. What was that experience like, and, and what was uh, Tokyo like as a host country? I know you played at the Olympic Stadium from 1964. Yes. yes. I mean, oh, I'm so happy you mentioned that because I think about it quite often, how I'm returning back to Tokyo, and I had great memories there. So hopefully, fingers crossed, some more great memories to come. But, yeah, in 2020, uh, in 2012, I played with the U-20s. We won in Tokyo. Um, it was a crazy, crazy tournament and an experience of a lifetime because, you know, representing your country at, at the youth levels feels like you know, you made it to the to the full team. You know, I was thinking at that age, I was like, this is it. Like, this is, you know, for everything, you know. And we had such a great team. Um, I'm close with a lot of the girls that I played on that team with. Um, obviously, Julie Ertz uh, here with me going to Tokyo and Sam Lewis as well. So there's just a lot of memories and a lot of people that I'm still well connected with. And I think um, just going into to the Olympics, it's going to bring back so many great memories. Well, Zach Ertz playing on the Philadelphia Eagles. We can uh, we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, pandemic related. I know the Olympics were postponed a year. How did that affect you? You know, in your training and everything. Um, you know, yeah, it was a bit of a bummer. I was kind of at least happy that it was postponed versus full on canceled. I think, um, you know, once I let that all settle in and, and realize what my new reality was, I kind of was okay with it. I, I used last year as a way to, to really lean into things that I didn't normally have time for. Uh, I've been married three years, and I really rarely spend time with my husband. So it was a year where I was kind of like, all right, soccer is a little bit, you know, I have a great area right now, but now I get to, you know, spend time with a loved one. And um, I really just tried to look at the whole situation as the glass is half full. We're joined by U.S. Women's National Team's Crystal Dunn here on The Fan in New York. Um, on your website, it says position everywhere, and I smiled when I read that. You could, People don't understand. You're like the quarterback for the Thorns way. You're the linebacker for the U.S. Women's National Team. Crystal, I can't think of a single player across really any sport that can do both at such, obviously, an elite level. So what do you wish people would know about that? Um, I really hope people realize that it is not easy. To, to to do the things that I do in the sense of, you know, switching mentalities, switching positions, because there's a lot that goes into being a midfielder. And then there's a whole lot to, that goes into, you know, trying and competing to be the world's best outside back for the women's national team. Um, and I think people probably think I make it look easy, which is a compliment, yay, but it's really challenging. Um, I am somebody who loves to be involved in the attack a lot. Um, and then when I come into the national team and I'm an outside back, I still get to be a little bit involved in the attack, but it's definitely different. And obviously top priority is defending world-class forwards. So it's just a huge mind shift that I don't think people really understand. <laughs> it's a huge undertaking too, but the mental preparation too, it's, it's totally different, right? Oh, totally different. Your training is different. Um, what's asked of you is completely different. It's it's not a it's not the same thing of moving from you know the midfield to playing up top. I mean, it, there's differences obviously in those positions, but ultimately you're asked to do quite similar things, which is get the ball in dangerous places, 
you know, assist, score, things like that. And I just feel like moving from the midfield to the the, the back line requires a huge kind of alter ego to kind of take place. And, you know, you just have to, like, get into a whole new mindset and, and be kind of a completely new player. You know, my like I said, my top priority is defending world-class forwards. And I'm used to, obviously, people having to chase me. And now I have to chase other people down. So, like, it's a lot. A lot is happening. <laughs> Playing in her second Olympics in less than a month, Crystal Dunn is with us here on the fan. Um, I hate to bring this back up, but it's a good thing. You were the last cut made for the 2015 World Cup roster, but won it in 2019 with the team. So could you explain the things that kind of were going through your mind in regards and just finally winning it? Like, what is what was your first thought? Like, did you think about how the struggle and the, to get back to that spot, I assume? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because when you reach a level of success or you have a successful moment, um, you think about the journey. You kind of, you know, that that moment when the final whistle blows and you are, you know, crowned world champions is obviously an incredible feeling. But right after that moment, you start thinking of all the things that you've sacrificed and all the, you know, the, the low moments you've had to lead into that event and into that moment. And I think that's exactly where my mind went. It was it went right back to being cut in 2015 and, you know, fast forward to now being able to lift this trophy up and be crowned a world champion, I think, um, is really where my mind went once that final whistle blew. And the parade in New York City, I actually was, I'm a teacher but during the week. I had my class. We were in Italy, watching it in Italy. I had the whole, and we were in Venice. I had them put it on the TV. But the parade in New York City, yeah, your home city, how cool was that? I mean, it was incredible. Like, it was, you know, I felt like a rock star. I felt like, you know, I felt seen. I felt like people watched these games. And that, I think, is is the most impactful part of it all, is feeling like people were so supportive because they actually followed the journey. They didn't just want to show up just to be like, okay, we're just going to cheer for these girls because they won the whole thing. I really, truly felt like, you know, people really were so aware of women's soccer and, my hope is obviously from one world event to another, we gain even more followers. You know, we gain even more people who want to support and be involved in women's soccer. And this is a perfect opportunity. A lot of my, my listening audience is male, so this is perfect for us to be talking now. Uh, the 2016 Olympics ended in a, a little bit of a disappointment. Um, it was the first time Team USA did not medal since the women's soccer became a sport in the Olympics. So, I mean, what did you personally learn from that experience, and how are you and the team going to apply it to these games? Um, yeah, so my, I don't even know if a lot of people know this, but my journey back then was so different. I was a forward for the national team. I was asked to score goals. My role was coming off the bench and and playing up top. So I almost feel like I'm in such a whole nother mindset and in a whole nother space going into this year's Olympics because it was just so different uh, back then, you know, again, versatility, yay, but like, really, it's, 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 it's a struggle at times, because I just feel like that Olympics was so different for me, like, just in regards to my role, and like, my mindset, and, and everything, and of course, falling short, not even meddling, was um, a huge disappointment, um, we all feel it in our hearts, we kind of are carrying it into the Olympics, knowing that, we have to show up, you know, there's a huge target on our back, but at the same time, pressure uh, builds diamonds, and we understand that it's not enough to just be like, we're the U.S. Women's National Team, it's like, we got to show up and literally perform and um, win every game. I love that saying, that's one of my favorite things, that pressure <laughs> makes diamonds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this Olympics, 17 out of 18 of the players are returning from the 2019 World Cup, 
is this team going to be the first team to win a World Cup and an Olympics in the same cycle? I'm going to go with yes. Yes, we are. We are more than capable. Um, but like I said, it's going to be hard. The scheduling is, is quite difficult. I don't, th- I don't know if a lot of people know, but, you know, soccer in the Olympics is almost like a whole other event. Um, we are not in the major city, so we will not really be in Tokyo. We'll be on the outskirts. Our first game is in Tokyo. Our first two games, I think, are in Tokyo. But we travel a lot. We're not just, you know, central in one city um, in one space. So, you know, the schedule is going to be crazy. The, the competition is obviously always so difficult. And it's not going to be easy, but I still think we can do it. I think sure. we we'll do it for sure. <laughs> Uh, so we have Crystal Dunn, native Long Islander, and member of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team here with us on the fan. Um, I have a video message from my last interviewee for this homegrown Olympian segment. It was Team USA's basketball, Tina Charles, who is also – she's from Queens. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. What? So just know that, that we're, we're standing in solidarity with, with you all, uh, with the fight for, for equal pay, and, you know, just love watching them play, you know. Um, it, it's upset it's 2021 and we're still going through this, but, you know, we may not be the ones to see the results, but the future generation will, and that's why we have to continue to do the work, and, and I'm very thankful that they have not given up hope. So, your reaction? Uh, well, honestly, I'm ecstatic that, you know, we have Tina's support. I think um, a big part of our culture on the women's national team is leaving the game better, and, you know, Tina just spoke on it of we may not reap the benefits of um, the fight that we're in, but it's going to set up the next generation. It's going to um, make the lives of others easier, and um, I think that is so huge and so important for our culture, and that's why we play this game. We play it, obviously, for ourselves, for our passion, for our love for the game, but we also play to make the next generation feel like they matter, you know, and that they're important and their hard work isn't going to go unnoticed. And what, I mean, I know you guys get out there, you meet the fans and stuff. What are some of the things that, like, young girls or boys or moms or dads have even said to you guys or to you in particular? Um, I feel like the most impactful message I've ever received from somebody that, like, literally brought me to tears was a young black girl that literally said, I play soccer because of you, because you look like me, and I'm so inspired to continue playing this sport because of you. And it, like, brought me to tears. I'm a huge crybaby, so <laughs> very, very, a lot of things bring me to tears, and that was one of them, but it was just, it was an incredible moment because I really do play this sport not just for myself, but to really inspire others to feel more comfortable um, in this space, because um, as a minority on the team, it's it's it hasn't always been easy. I have felt very lonely. I've felt like I'm kind of the only one. But I do feel like the next generation is not going to have that issue. And if I can ease their minds a little bit uh, more through my play, through my advocacy, I think that that is the biggest um, achievement that I can have playing the sport. That's awesome. So so in terms of like this equal pay thing, like. What's next? What needs to be happen? Like, what needs to happen next? Like, how can this be resolved amicably for both all parties? I should say involved. Yeah, I mean, conversations are obviously ongoing. Um, I think at some point there will be an agreement. Um, fingers crossed. Very hopeful. Um, but it's not an easy road, you know. I think you know there's things that need to be ironed out. But I am very hopeful that um, you know we can reach an agreement. But it's just it's a battle. It's always an ongoing fight, and and it's you know, I'm really happy that we have inspired others to, you know, others in other industries, I should say, not even just athletes, but, 
you know, the messages that we've received, the feedback that we've received is that people have truly felt inspired in their own um, organizations, you know, whether you're an athlete or not. So I think that's the really most incredible thing that we've taken away from this experience is just really inspiring and empowering others to, um, you know, fight, to fight for what they truly think that their value is and, um, you know, don't take your foot off the pedal and, and, and lean on each other. You're not alone. And I think, um, you know, what we're doing is really inspiring to others. In closing here, I, I saw that you're the DJ of the team. So DJ Dunn, what are three must-haves that maybe you've already added to the Tokyo playlist for the locker room for the <laughs> national team? Oh, I actually haven't done the playlist yet. It's on my to-do list. Um, I, I think it's going to be something that I do, like, you know, in the airport or, you know, whenever we have a thousand hours, which will be a lot of the time. But, um, yeah, I'm the team DJ. I try to make sure everyone has feel-goods. I try to cater to everybody. But as most people know, when you request a song to the DJ, like, it has to be a good song. I'm not going to just play any song. I hate when people roll up on me and they're like, play this, play that. And I'm like, is that good though? Like, are people gonna like be upset that I played that? So, I have my I have my rules, you know. But I I do as the DJ like to you know cater to most. I like to get everybody in their feel goods and kind of you know get everybody loose for the game. All right. So give me one. Tell me one. What's one that you have on the list? Um, or in mind. There's not a specific song. That I change it up all the time because I'm like, listen, keep it keep it changed up. But I will say Drake is always have him be played because he just has all the feels, you know, if the team needs a little bit of a pick me up, they need a little bit of like a, you know, get amped up. I can play Drake. If we're a little bit more like, all right, you know, we're chilling right now. We don't need to be super amped up at this moment. It's like, I'm still going to play Drake. Like he has the song for that. So, (laughs) so I mean, when in doubt Drake. (laughs) Okay. Got it. Um, Maybe what is one song that you would use to characterize this team? Oh, man. Wow, one song. One artist, maybe. Is it going to be Drake? I mean, it's probably Drake. Um, I would say it's actually more so like Rihanna. Okay. Like We're just like Rihanna. We're just like stepping into the room. We're just like, listen, we're popping. We really just like don't have to do much. We're just literally just popping. But, no, we, um, like I said, we're a well-versed team. We are, you know, able to, to – get through it mostly anything and I just feel like the music has to represent that so yeah how do you want this team to be remembered ultimately um I want this team to be remembered as dominant you know and a lot of people think that winning on this team is easy and I can tell you right now it is not Mm -hmm. um but I do think through our play we can dominate a lot of games and really, you know, create a legacy of of dominance and just hopefully inspire others to know that it's not easy to win, but when you do when you do win, it you don't take it for granted. You know, we celebrate every goal, we celebrate each other because we need every single person on this